Welcome to The Old World Lives, a World of Fantasy Battles podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Old World Lives, on Instagram at The Old World Lives, and you can reach us by email at theoldworldlives at gmail.com. And now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to this short episode of uh, The Old World Lives, a World of Fantasy podcast. And I'm Chris, and with me tonight I have Niklas. Hello, everyone. It's about dwarves, all things dwarves, and uh, maybe some even more dwarves. Yeah, this is a subject that lies close to both of our hearts. This is my favorite fantasy army, and has always been, and will probably always be. Yeah, they got great backstory, they got great miniatures, and a really fun playstyle if you prefer not moving rapidly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we'll get to uh, how you can use them and not have them be the, the boring stereotype that can often be seen as. As with all armies, you can build really boring and really powerful playstyles, but the thematic ones the f- are the really fun ones. Yeah, definitely. So, should we start off with uh, Niklas? What have you been doing in the hobby lately? I have actually been painting some dwarves. I got my mm. big army that I'm uh, uh, building up once again. It's uh, a bunch of my old models and some new ones uh, that I'm building up. Uh, my goal is to have like, a 2,000-point list in order for an event in November here in England. Oh, so it's, uh, which event is that, is that? Oh, it's called... Oh, I can't really remember what it's called, but it's by the uh, uh, Back to the Future Hammer guys. It's a ah. fantasy podcast here in England for those that haven't listened to it. Uh, so they're organizing an event up in Bedford, I think. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it's going to be great. 2,000 points. Uh, only really played lower points levels. It's going to be interesting to see. Interesting to, to slay some dragons. Yeah, you can finally get a lord in there. Yeah, I, I don't think I will have a lord, actually, with the dwarves. Because they don't really have any like crazy things you can take. Yeah, you can take the anvil, but yeah, I don't think I will. Uh, it's uh, it's only if you take like uh, the Thor- Thorgrim, you can uh, spend about half the points of your army in one unit. Yeah, literally. Yeah, I think I'll. Uh, yeah, it's a very big egg in a big basket. Uh, On a really nice throne or palaquin or whatever. You want to call a really it. nice basket. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, oh, I, I think I'll just, I'll just focus on uh, lots of small units. But yeah, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun to play in Dwarves. I haven't played with them, actually, so it's going to be a, a hard learning curve. You should try curve, to get some uh, practice games in before that, probably. Yeah, definitely. Uh, other than that, I'm also finishing up some Kiss of stuff. Uh, I've got the end in sight. Just a few more uh, guys to paint up, and then I will have uh, 3,000 points painted, and then that's it. Uh, then I can start focusing on other armies. It's quite impressive to have a, a 3,000 points armies of KISS level. Yeah, I haven't really bought anything more for them. I just had that with the uh, the first purchase I made of the that army. Yeah, well, Katarina herself is, what is it, like 450 points or something? 495. So yeah, she's a Ooh, big yeah. chunk of points. Yeah, that uh, helps bul- bulking out, out uh, those numbers. Yeah, yeah I got a... Some uh, Ungol horse archers to paint up. I'm fin- finally gonna put back the the banner guys. So I, I painted up uh, like a, a banner guy for the horse archers, and then I realized that oh, maybe that's not the best idea for small light uh, horse units. 
So I snapped them off, put them to the side. Yeah. And now I'm finally going to reattach them. Yeah, but it's only if they're beaten and overrun in close combat, you lose that uh, sweet, sweet banner points. So. Yeah. And I usually, like, when I play 1,000 or 1,500 points, I'm probably not going to have, like, a beginner of horse archers to run into close combat, but at 3,000 points, like, y- you can afford to, to use thematic units. You don't have to think too much of how effective you're gonna, they're going to be. And you can never really disregard that uh, late-game charge in the side if you need it, by a light horse unit, either. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll work fine. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you just got to find an opponent to play 3,000 points later, though. Well, that's uh, a problem entirely in its own bracket, I think. Yeah. But there must be someone that has uh, 3,000 points lying around. Yeah. Just got to get these London people to paint up big armies. Uh, so what have you been up to, Chris? Well, I've been... Uh, I'd like if I say that I haven't been playing a WoW Classic. <laughs> Yeah. That's eaten up quite a lot of time. But I've also built uh, two dragons, complete with dragon riders, that are uh, the old Malekith dragon, the Seraphon, Seraphon and uh, the old 4th uh, or 5th edition Wood Elf, uh, I think the 5th edition dragon, Wood Elf Forest Dragon. And I've awesome. made uh, new riders for and everything, and uh, those are in the line to be painted. They uh, are probably going to represent uh, the drakes for the dragon princess in a war of the beard war of vengeance list if i ever play that campaign with someone hint hint yeah that's so awesome i really enjoyed uh, watching you build those dragons yeah, and i figured i have the dragons why not just use them for something because then i can use my carmine dragon or something even bigger if i ever get it just for the lord because then it would be look different on the battlefield because they are smaller yeah it's so good that's what I thought of like uh, when I saw that unit like oh yeah it'd be so cool to have a lord like flanked by two of these guys it'd be so perfect now you're doing it dream come true Chris yeah it really is and the funny thing is I probably owned this uh, forest dragon I have stripped it because it has been painted twice before but I've owned it for almost as long as I've had an interest in uh, fantasy yeah, so, uh, it's the same with the uh, me and my dwarves. Like some of these old yeah. models are like the, the first I ever bought. Yeah, he used to have a high elf dragon prince on him. Uh, the ones that were released in sixth edition, uh, the champion with the weapon from Cetra. I have no idea why I put it like that. <laughs> he looked really cool on top of the dragon, though. Nice. Yeah, but those are something I've been working on. I've also been working on a small little, basically a painting exercise, which is a goblin on a small little diorama base thing. That's how it starts. Now I'm not really interested in painting green, all of that (laughs) green, green armor. He says, knowing full well that one of the dragons will be green. (laughs) But now I own all the green paint, so... (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, more or less what I've been doing. That and planning, because... That's also a good thing to actually get some time to paint or know what, what to paint instead of just looking at the painting desk, see eight projects, disregard them all and uh, like play Total War or something. Yeah, I can never tell myself what I need to paint because then I'm like, oh, but that's that's like work and I don't like working. Yeah. But then it's hard to also find motivation to, to spontaneously, spontaneously start painting something. 
So it's it's good to have like two projects, I think, and then yeah. tell yourself to paint the one that you don't want to paint, because then you will be like, no, I'll paint this other thing instead, and fool yeah. yourself. To paint yeah, that's something. exactly what I've been doing when I'm put this because uh, I have another project on the table as well currently, and it is the small goblin diorama and a Terranoc chariot, and those are the only th two things that I'm currently allowing myself to paint because. As I said, otherwise there is going to be eight projects on the table and I'm doing nothing. Yeah. Oh, Warhammer problems. Indeed. But uh, there hasn't really been any news, has it? No, I mean, they released uh, the Cities of Sigmar for Age of, M uh, Age of Sigmar, not Age of Empires. Yeah. Uh, it and... would be impressive if they had released it for Age of Empires, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not very impressed by the the storyline that they're going with, but uh, I'm glad that they're bringing out like more star collecting collecting boxes that could be like yeah. good value. Yeah, there's two out currently, and one is a dark elf corsair with a hydra. Yeah, and the other one is uh, uh, I think it's the iron breakers, right? Or is it the warrior kit? Uh, it is the iron breakers. They've yeah, discontinued the warriors, I think. Finally. Yeah, I I never really liked those. So mm. like I I can complain that they removed wars, but honestly, I I've never been a fan of any of the warrior models they've done. They also uh, released uh, a well in that kit is also a what's it called the gyrocopter gyro bomber as well. Yeah. So they're still nice. I'm waiting for one that was uh, that I hope will get there because it was in a warmer community post about these boxes basically and it was a picture of the exact number of models that were in the other boxes but in this uh, photo there were a phoenix guard and a phoenix instead yeah i mean they're great value if you want to get in on those things for fantasy like uh, yeah. the, especially in the the dark elf one is great like you get a hydra and you get some uh, corsairs sweet yeah or if you play wood elves and get the sylvaneth one that's a great value yeah. because I get a treeman and a bunch of uh, dryads. Yeah, I'm not as excited about the dwarf one because you can't have, really have that many gyrocopters. Uh, the Ironbreakers are great models, but then you get two characters as well. So you're going to get a lot mm -hmm. of doubles of characters if you yeah. get that thing. Yeah. Uh, another thing that's been released that might be to interest to some when it comes to like characters or special models just to get some variety in your units that is uh, the latest uh, warcry releases and the warhammer age of sigmar underworld beast grave whatever it's called because i couldn't choose a shorter title for them so they have to have like 18 different subtitles <laughs> yes beast grave the, the one with beastmen yeah the beastmen and there's some uh, great uh, wood elves or whatever you call this but they're, they're basically widows that can be some of the altar kinders, I think, that are changed or halfway between uh, an elf or some forest a spirit. Tree. There's even a kentar. <laughs> All right. And then there are some uh, new ghouls as well. Yeah, I, I like the ghouls. They're great models. And you keep coming out with these small warbands that have like a, a few models they can definitely use. So not mad at mm -hmm. that. That's what said. There, you don't. You probably shouldn't get the warbands if you want them for an entire army because they're about two hundred kroners plus if you go with Swedish currency, so twenty euros plus for a warband for like five plus models. Yeah. 
or four models in some cases. I think this Stormcast are three, but whoever plays Stormcast, whoever would want it in a proper army, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Like you get some extra models, like those goals. You can stick those goals. Either make them like a, a Strigoi vampire, make one of them a Strigoi, and then you chuck the other yeah. ones in a, some units of goals just to mix them up a bit, have some character. Yeah, the same with the beastmen and uh, the, the woodels. I think they would make great alternate characters or something if you want to fully theme it for some niche theme. Yeah. Oh, and I also noticed right now that they are going to put up. At least the uh, Lizardman uh, Croxigore uh, for Blood Bowl, the old one on Mate's mm -hmm. Order. So, you're probably going to get some more stuff on Mate's Order soon. All right. It's always nice to see stuff to Mate's Order, whatever it is, because a lot of the old stuff is just good looking. Yeah, there, there's been like rumors, like if they're releasing, but I guess they're not, because like, with the release of Cities uh, of Sigmar, that that would be like an empire release if they would make an empire made order. That would be nice, but maybe I don't know. They've uh, if you look at uh, the cities of Sigmar on uh, called the GW website, there's quite a lot of uh, stuff in it actually. Ooh, the there's a yeah. I, th I, I think there's a lot of stuff that was discontinued in the Great Purge early this summer, or in the, this summer. There's been stuff that's been returned, it seems, at least. Oh, um, really? Well, moderately. I'll have to take a look better. Well, there's a Hellblaster Volleygun with run bases. All right. Do we have yeah. any more new stuff? I, um, I doubt that. I'm just looking around a bit, but there's nothing more that's new, I think. Right. Oh yeah, I saw. By the way, that they released uh, Brunner uh, as a like a, a new book. They re-released the Brunner stories. Mm -hmm. uh, Brunner is like one of my favorite book series in fantasy. So definitely check that out if you haven't read it. It's about a mercenary uh, or a, like a bounty hunter, and he travels around a bunch in the old world. He's in the Empire, and he's done Tilia and Estalia, uh, and they're great. I love them. So check them out. Fair enough. I uh, should probably mention while we're talking about news um, and books. Uh, there's a Blood of the Old World audio drama with Brian Blessed currently out. If uh, you're inclined to listen to it, be advised that you might be annoyed, incredibly annoyed by it. How come? Well, I can't really say unless. Well, I was going to say it. Spoiler. If you don't want to hear this, uh, skip forward for Gotrek uh, might destroy the Realm Gate to the old world. That's about it. All right. Well, that's all bubble hammer. Yeah, but technically, the old world still existed in that uh, in the Age of Sigmar universe. It's just that the Realm Gate gets destroyed. So we'll see what happens. <sighs> Yeah, maybe it's a good thing that he wouldn't let all the bullshit just flow out into the world. <laughs> that's that's not the worst part. The worst part is that you basically hear the last will and testament of Felix at the same time, and then Gotrek basically says, "Well, if Felix uh, if Felix is worthy, he's gonna be here anyway." And then he just chops the gate to, to bits. 
All right. That was enough. Enough Age of Sigmar talk. Where to start? Where to start? How to about starting? Starting at the beginning. As we all probably know, that played this game for a while, and probably everyone that's read some of the lore, is uh, that uh, the world was technically terraformed by the old ones. So that's going way, way back. And the first races were the sentient races were created by the old ones. This includes this is includes the dwarves. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to talk a bit uh, uh, also about like dwarves in in general fantasy, like where they come from. Yeah. Uh, so they've been around in Norse mythology since oh, yeah. <laughs> since a long time, uh, and in Norse mythology, they're like yeah, underground beings that are very good at uh, crafting things. But I don't know, like if they were so outlined as being short guys with hair. I think they. They've taken many shapes in, uh, in Norse mythology. Yeah, they were, I think they were described as other than humans, but they were a bit different. And yeah, I think the li- living underground kind of fits with being shorter and stockier just because of that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also in uh, Tolkien's universe, I think that's like the, yeah. the, the most classic fantasy dwarfs. That's where they were really created. So, like in in Tolkien's universe, that's where the the standard dwarf was created, I think, and then they just kind yeah. of took took most of those ideas over to to fantasy and changed them around a bit uh, to fit the background here and have them have their own gods instead of Valar. And uh, also, I think the the biggest difference between uh, dwarves in fantasy and Tolkien's universe is gunpowder and steam. Yeah. And also more magic, actually, like runecrafted weapons and stuff like that. Uh, but do, do go on, Chris, and tell us their origin. Where are the dwarves from? Well, they're they were created uh, as a re- they were really primitive in the beginning. They basically lived in caves and ate mud. But they were created in uh, the border of basically because this is cor- cor- I wish to mention it. This has been correlated from several sources and tried to made somewhat of a sense of it all uh, but it was either in the northern southlands or the southern parts of the world says mountains where they were created and lived as a really primitive beings like probably like we once did basically cave dwarves yeah and uh, gradually they evolved they learned new crafts they learned how to well make weapons and uh, tools out of flint and stone and wood and uh, this is probably where the ancestor gods come in. And these are Grungi, Grungi, which was the lord of the mines. And he taught them the crafting and the technologies for mining. And this may, this, that made them improve and evolve even further. And then we have the Grim, Grimnir, who was the fearless. And Grimnir is also the god of the Slayer cult, which we'll talk about later in this episode. Uh, and he taught them how to be warriors and defend themselves and basically go into the world without fear. And they had Malaya, who was the goddess of the hearth and healing, and she taught them the, tra- the value of traditions and the value of uh, basically remember who you are, remember what you are and where you ca- come from, and never let anyone mess with you, which is quite obvious what happens later on when this is the only thing the dwarves think about. Yeah, it's very interesting with the, the dwarf gods that they're, they're like, <laughs> uh, they're very shrouded in mystery, like uh, when they arrived and when they left and what happened to them. 
and yeah. also like that they're not true gods they're more like half gods that uh, they do have uh, heirs like they had children like a yeah. lot of the the noble dwarves of today can trace their lineage back to the the ancestor gods at least so they claim because yeah. they, they can't prove that anymore yeah everything <laughs> but, uh, is just shrouded in mystery but the god the lesser god we just mentioned is uh Orgrim, which is Grimnir's son, Grimnir's son, and he's the god of engineering. So, but uh, when all this happened, they got the, their god, so to speak, their ancestors. They got uh, improved technology. They improved their culture, and they started to expand northwards. And uh, this meant that they traveled up the spine of the world's submerged mountains, basically. And everywhere they found someone somewhere that was suitable for them. Uh, like a place to build a mine or a great hall. They started to build mines and great halls under the supervision of Grungrim. And this also meant that over a long time they uh, they bred, they multiplied, and that meant that they had to keep moving north and later on even east because they never went to the sea for some reason. Yeah, so they kept extending north up the spine of the World Edge Mountains, and then some went all the way up to Norska, and some went across the, the plains to the east. We don't know like uh, if the plains were a nicer place back then, but then some dwarves settled in the east. I don't yeah, think a lot probably... of dwarves settled in the, the west by then. It's like There were mountains uh, there, but they, I think they settled them later. They were, well, they did settle the Grey Mountains, but that were way later. That was uh, yeah. well, at the time of the Goblin Wars. I think, um, yeah, the oldest holes uh, are in the uh, Karasakarak was settled at this this point. There are also other holes that have been built around the ruins of holes from this time, like I think uh, parts of Karak Eight Peaks was set, settled around a mine built at this point. So they do really like their old buildings and stuff. Yeah. But so the, the dwarves were expanding up at this point, and then they were settling down, they were building mines, uh, but the good times were not to last. No. Uh, so technically, at this point, if you have a map in front of you, before the good times uh, fail to last, there the empire, the, the Karas Ankor, the everlasting realm, basically stretched from the Southlands to Norska, and to the east, uh, to the mountains of Morn, and all of these places we will revisit. But at this, at this time, good times can't really last, especially not when chaos is involved. And uh, this is uh, the time where there's at least uh, there's some bits of fluff about it, where there is a gate, the old, uh, gate that uh, the old ones built in the north of the planet. And that collapsed somehow. Yeah, and chaos flooded out. Demons came out. Uh, I think that's when beastmen first arrived as well. Uh, and yeah. the ancestor gods told the dwarves that you need to dig deeper to find shelter in the mountains. So the dwarves dug and dug deeper until they were safe from this corrosive chaos uh, storm coming out. But the dwarves to the east that were not led by the guidance of the the ancestor gods, they didn't dig so deep. So they were affected by the chaos winds. Yeah. And this is also when the dwarves had started with the first attempt at rune crafting and rune magic. And 
the more advanced holes was probably protected more due to the protective areas of magic around them to keep out because basically the entire world at this point or the world was covered in a layer of black warpstone dust that mutated everything it touched yeah it's a bad time to be around so the the dwarves in the east in the mountains of morn they uh, they begged to be relieved of this terrible affliction and so they found this chaos god this minor uh, entity called hashut and these guys became the chaos source yeah Pretty much. And this is the last we're going to mention of them, because we do not speak of them. No, they're the cursed brethren, and we can't speak of them. So now that we got that nasty business out of the way, back to the World Edge Mountains. Yeah. uh, Yeah, go on. So after the chaos storm had been blowing down on the world for a while, and demons were roaming outside, uh, eventually the ancestor gods led the dwarves outside, and they started fighting these vile creatures. And they were fighting demons, fighting beastmen, fighting demons, fighting, fighting, fighting. And then eventually uh, the dwarves were chasing a band of beastmen down to uh, the sea. I think it was led by Grimnir himself. Yeah, he led the dwarven army at this point, or most of the time. And that's when they first met the elves. Yeah, they met Kalador, the dragon tamer, and his fleet that has been blown off course. And they weren't really sure that if they could be trusted or if they were friendly. But when they attacked the same enemy as the dwarves, that basically opened negotiations going forward. Yeah, and joined in the battle against uh, these evil creatures. They became pretty good friends in the beginning, uh, traded some technology yeah. and some uh, some bling. Uh, and at this time, Teclis was creating the vortex to suck the chaos power out. Well, uh, no, Kalidor was creating. Oh, Teclis, really? Teclis isn't born for a... Two, two or three thousand more years. All right. I don't know about dwarves, man. Galador is the one who led the council of uh, uh, high elven mages that created the Vortex. While, the most important thing is, while Grimnir, who was clad in armor and wearing his two axes, bid farewell to his son, gave his son, this is Morgrim, his, one of his axes, and then walked into the Chaos Waste to basically stand in front of the gate where all of the chaos spawn and demons and everything poured forth and just, yeah, I'm just going to stand yeah. there. I'm going to kill everything. <laughs> so good. Oh, so, so that's where the enemy is coming from? Then yeah. I must go there. Yeah, and he, he basically took, well, I'm an ancestor. I am basically immune to all of this chaos stuff anyway. You uh, regular dwarves, you're just going to stay here. I'm going to shave most of my head. I'm just going to keep this massive crest. Take my axe and go up and slay everything I find until... Yeah. Yeah, I, Until I, I die or the, the vortex is finished, whatever comes first. I heard this story so long ago, and then I read recently that, like, uh, a bit more in detail, that he was walking with his son up to Norska first, and there he, like, casually killed a dragon, like a massive chaos dragon. Yeah, he killed, then, uh, well, he killed the father of all dragons first. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to, to the cascade, but first I'm just gonna kill the most badass dragon of them all. And then they had like a big feast. And then he gave the axe to his son and told him yeah. to, to go home. And, and then he walked, wandered off. walked up to the edge of the Chaos Waste because he knew that everyone that would follow him would probably die. Yeah. Because he he was, we don't really know what Grimir actually was. What, what, if he was immune to Chaos Waste, if he was made by Chaos or made by the old ones or whatever. But he was probably immune. Yeah. And then he disappeared. 
And then the other two ancestor gods disappeared a while later, but it's like it's not written anywhere. Like what happened to them? Did they die they, or did they just wander they, off? Uh, really they disappeared in the beginning of the Golden Age, which was the age that followed the work in the Come of Chaos. And basically, no one knows. Some say they were just uh, went down as far as they could in the mountains and rejoined the earth or just ascended or something. Yeah. It's good classic old writing where everything is shrouded mm-hmm. in mystery. But I think it's like really good because whenever you hear what actually happened, uh, it just ruins the suspense, I think. It's a bit like what happened in the yeah. end times. Like when things are actually resolved, you're kind of disappointed with the, the end result. It's like yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah, but, yeah, I can agree with that. But if everyone has ever seen the ascended ones in the Stargate, they're probably like that just turn into energy and join the universe or something. <laughs> At least it's a good way to see it, because otherwise, yeah, they just went down and died. That would be... <laughs> yeah, pretty lame. So... Oh, the, yeah. He, okay, yeah, go on. So Let's he, not dwell on the death of the ancestor gods. No, that's probably a good idea. So, after this, uh, there's some speculation, there's some difference in the, the records that I've read. Uh, what happened to Norska and how long it was isolated. Because some say Norska was isolated right after the war against Chaos because it was technically part of the Chaos Ways at that point. And there are several holes in uh, Norska. Yeah, I thought thought it would make sense that they were reconnected during the Golden Age, but I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, but they they, they never got connected to the Ungreen Anchor, which is the underway. Because that was built during the Golden Age, so it is yeah. after. But it doesn't matter. There, there are several holes in Norska. They are really strong holes. They are, they have a lot of wealth, and uh, they've been fighting chaos and uh, raiding chaos places with longships, basically, because these are one of the few seafaring parts of the dwarven culture. The other yeah. one being like Barakwar and the sub sub hole for that one. And as we mentioned, we're going to mention them. Cause we, I know we said we shouldn't mention them, but we're going to mention them. In the Mountains of Morn, in the Isolated, uh, there was strongholds, but they were not as deep, as we mentioned. So they got corrupted. And uh, as my note uh, says there, says, got scared, worships, bo- worships bo- burning bovine. So it's probably true <laughs> yeah, enough. Pretty much it. Yeah, speaking of the, just the seafarers, though, like the chaos doors also have like a, a port uh like to northeast, like uh, yeah, like I saw it in like the that huge detailed old world map, and yeah. they have like a port city there, which I thought was pretty cool. That's like connected with underground waterways down to their capital. Yeah, that's uh, that's also how the some of the holes in the Norska is connected to the sea, so they don't have to tr- travel right through most of the chaos fleet every time they want to go anywhere. <laughs> So they built yeah. a tunnel for the ships. It's quite cool. So after this, we mentioned that they were a bit friendly with the elves all of a sudden. And to make sure that the, the dwarves prospered, uh, the high king Snorri Whitebeard made, uh, made sure that uh, they would start trade in the, in the end with all of the elves that were now, by permission, basically settling the lands that were to become Britannia, part of the empire, and part of the, like, Talia and Estalia, that part yeah. of the map. And this piece lasted for, what was it, like, 2,000 years? 
Yeah, it was a good time. Like yeah. they, they were friendly with the elves and they were trading and everyone was getting rich. The yeah. to- toy makers of the, the dwarves were selling like crazy to, to elf children. Yeah. And uh, yet they learned basically nothing about each other during this part. The only thing that they yeah. lear- learn is the only one that actually learns about what the, how the dwarves are and what they're like for the most part is a high elven prince called Malekith. Rotten egg. Yeah. Well, he was just a bit grumpy, bit grumpy and felt a bit passed over for command at this point because he thought he would be king after his father died. Intrigue at the court. Classic elves. Yeah. Uh, and he befriended the High King, which is Snorri Whitebeard, the first High King. And he was the son of uh, Grongi. So he probably had a claim to being related to dances the gods. Yeah. And they did fight with... Because uh, even though the gate was sealed and most of the magic drained away, there were still armies of demons around. And Mal- Malakith and Snorri led a massive combined army against the demons and beastmen and basically ended them in the old world at that point. Yeah, they were good friends. Yeah. And as mentioned, Angry Minecor was built, which was a great uh, motorway, basically, between the different holes that was first traveled by cart and later on early steam trains, which was really cool, actually. That is what really makes part of the lore so cool. That the dwarfs were so damn advanced at one point, then lost it all. And yeah. Yeah, that's like such a big part of the dwarfs in uh, in Warmer and like the current timeline that everything is falling apart and they're trying to hold on. But in the golden age, as I said, things were going really well uh, until mm-hmm. the elves had some problems in their backyard. Well, there was the sundering, which is. Yeah, their backyard kind of yeah. drifted and off. Something tells me, me that we should that, that Thompson tells me that we will talk about that in depth when we do a higher special. But the uh, sundering yeah. uh, is basically where we get to the two races, not just the elves, but the high elves and dark elves, because Malekith rebels and murders off of the population. Yeah. And then they're fighting, fighting, and the dwarves kind of know that this is going on, but they don't really care about elves, <laughs> to be honest. And then I don't really, I think there can be debated how much they actually know. They know that there's some turmoil, they don't really know that there are more than one kind of elf after this, which is painfully obvious when the next era after the golden age, the massive, wealthy golden age, where everything is perfect for a long time, we have. Probably justified War of Vengeance. Yeah, or War of the Beard, known to most people, but to the dwarves, it's known as the War of Vengeance. Well, they won the war, so they should probably be the ones who named it. Yeah. But yeah, it's just the elves are, they got trade posts everywhere, so they just released their shitty history books to all the humans, and then they learned as War of the Beard, probably. Yeah. Well, should mention the reason. It's called the War of the Beard is because the High Elf King at this point, Calador II, which is the son of Calador the Conqueror, not Calador the Dragon Tamer, which was a much earlier king. Calador the Conqueror was the one who defeated Malekith in the Sundering. But Calador II was a massive dick, basically. And felt like, I don't, I don't need to learn about these uh, small, hairy, stinking 
underground living things. Things. I'm just going to insult them in the most incredible way ever. And uh, well, it probably cost uh, several hundreds of thousands of elves and dwarf lives in the end. Yay! Yeah, yeah we're gonna. We're definitely gonna do like a, a War of Vengeance special and talk more in depth about this. Yeah. But we've, but we've, in short, yeah. it was instigated by the Dark Elves to get the Dark uh, uh, the High Elves and Dwarves fighting, so that the Dark Elves yeah. would have an advantage in their war against the High Elves. There's yeah. a lot of intrigue going on, and then it, it, led it to helps. War. It helps when your enemy is busy with an even po- more powerful in- enemy than yourself. Yeah, just try and backstab classic Elves. So then the Dwarves and the High Elves were fighting for. Hundreds of years, right? Like, wasn't it like two hundred years or something like that? It was closer to four hundred years, yeah. I think. It's crazy. Yeah, this is crazy when you look at the the battles and like, oh, during the fourteenth siege of Torellesi, this yeah. happened. Wasn't it like twenty-seven sieges or something? Yeah, it's crazy. It uh, really good book series as well. The, the War of the Beard or War of Vengeance. What's the book series called? Uh, the War of Vengeance is uh, what the omnibus is ah, called. There we go. The history is written like, by the victors. Yeah. And if you want to know why they're the victors, stay tuned for, there will be a special from us in the future or just read up on it yourself because that is something that's worth talking about and discussing. Yeah. It's one of my favorite uh, eras of Warhammer for sure. Yeah. And it's in a Warhammer Chronicles War of Vengeance omnibus currently on available from Black Library. So that's nice to be re-released. Yeah. So we had the Golden Age, and then they started fighting with the elves, and they were still pretty doing pretty good. And yeah. then right after, they were also like, <laughs> they they were still doing pretty good, but good, but they lost like a third or a f- half of the population. Yeah, that's the price you got to pay for vengeance, man. Uh, so after this, after they've been fighting with them and they concluded the war, and like 50 years afterwards, sh- shit went down. Shit went wrong. Started going yeah. wrong everywhere. And the Goblin well, War started. Oh, well, that started with something even more interesting before that. It was a small little experiment by other creatures living under underground. Because uh, a Skaven had a large machine uh, under Skaven Blight. They wanted to basically harness magic with it. But it exploded and it caused a, an earthquake that basically shattered most of the underway for the for the dwarves and opened yeah. up holes from uh, both below and above. Yeah, it ruined a lot of the dwarves' holds, like lower levels. And it, the dwarves were not really... Uh, expecting to be overrun from below. A lot of the holds were not really well protected down there. Like they were more yeah. intent on like defending from above ground. So a lot of holds got taken over really fast in the beginning. Yeah, all of, the all of a sudden, uh, the mines and everything that was, as I said, protected at the bottom of the of the holes, they were full with skaven and with goblins that just were opportunistic. It was, wasn't it, I think, uh, uh, the Kark Ungor that was assaulted by Skaven from below and orcs from above or something like that? Yeah, Kark Ungor was the, the first hold to be to be lost, I think. Yeah, it was. And uh, that and uh, after that, uh, Kark Varn fell, which was uh, basically the, the most, 
I, I could almost uh, equate it to Moria when it comes to wealth of metal. If you want to go for a parallel in a different setting. So it was massively rich in Gromril. Yeah, so the dwarves have been enjoying a pretty, like a relative time of peace, and then you had the the war vengeance. But that was still like, they were fighting outside of their holds most of the time. And then this period of just utter chaos ensued, and they were fighting constantly. And really, they've been fighting constantly ever since. Yeah, the Goblin Wars was basically, basically lasted for like 1300 years or something, off and on. And yeah. with this, there was like the Dragonback Mountains were lost, uh, several holes were lost, several mines were lost, and uh, Karak Eight Peaks were lost, Karak Askel were lost, and Karak Drush was attacked and captured by the orcs. Yeah, Karak Eight Peaks was considered like, it could even rival uh, Karas Karak in yeah. greatness and just the wealth and just the, the, only th- the way it was made. The only reason it wasn't uh, above Karasa Karak was that it was younger and partly above ground. Yeah. So it was less safe. But it that Karak Apex had built its, its the wealth from the trade with the elves, basically. Yeah. It was and massively the, rich. It's another hold. I think this is Karak Dras that was also used, lost immediately after Karak Apex because... Uh, it was connected to with the, the underway and uh, their defenses towards Karak 8 peaks were very weak because they just thought that yeah. it would never fall and then it did fall yeah. and then they just got overrun immediately. Yeah, but it probably wouldn't have fallen if the Skaven hadn't caused massive earthquakes and collapsed part of the mountain ranges and reignited volcanoes yeah. by doing so. Yeah, I read a great story about this character as well. I can't remember where I read it, but uh, when they were being overrun, this rune lord hid all the the, the the treasure of the hold in this secret vault that you could only see if you were a dwarf. Some rune magic. <laughs> Such a classic tale as well. And then this yeah. uh, adventurer came there and uncovered it. And like a dragon had settled there. And he had to slay the dragon and get this treasure. And then he did. And it's just such a classic. Ah, oh, here it is, even called the uh, Karak Askal. I don't know what page it is, but it's in the sixth edition army book. All right. So the Goblin Wars. Terrible time period. Yeah. A lot of holds were lost. Yeah, there was. Well, they had to readjust everything after this, basically, because with all the holds lost, with all the manpower lost before the Goblin Wars and during the Goblin Wars, the dwarves weren't. They were still like powerful, but not really mighty race anymore. Yeah, they mm. were still very skilled and wealthy, but they just weren't powerful enough to be like a force in the world. They're laid yeah. pretty low. And there were like eight of them left, which is probably why they weren't as powerful anymore. Yeah. But I think they have regained some of the numbers after that. Yeah. So uh, at this time as well, uh, men were starting to become more advanced. So before this, they just yeah. been savage tribes just running around everywhere. Yeah. They, and now they finally, so to speak, started to become civilized and uh, formed uh, more coherent uh, societies, even though they were still basically cl- uh, a clan or tribe society. But they were yeah. a bit more organized than that. And they, there was uh, a high king called uh, Kurgan Ironbeard who was ambushed 
and he was traveling from Karasakarak to the Grey Mountains. I should mention that Grey Mountains at this point had been settled by mostly refugees from all of the, the holes that had fallen that were close to the Grey Mountains. As we said, the High King was taken captive and uh, they were in luck because uh, there was a certain tribe that was uh, not that fond of uh, the greenskins in this area. And uh, the Unberogen. Yes. And they had a chieftain's son called Sigmar Heldenhammer. I doubt he was called Heldenhammer at this point. Yeah, I was just but, thinking uh, that. Like, hmm. It's, it's uh, a lot easier to recognize him because no one would recognize the name Sigmar. I mean, he's not a god or state religion of the empire or anything. Sigmar Larsson. <laughs> yeah, he's the high. He's the king of the gods. Oh wait, wrong setting. Uh, yeah, but he saves the the high king, and as an act of that's basically never happened or since or up until that point or since the high king ha- gives him uh, the hammer, Galmaras, the splitter of skulls, which was an ancient and powerful weapon even by dwarf standards. Yeah, a mighty gift. Yeah. And after this, they formed uh, an alliance, a very, very strong alliance. And they started yeah. beating the, the Greenskin back. And even to this day, the, the cult of Sigmar, like one of their primary tenets is to, to aid a dwarf whenever a dwarf needs help. Yeah. And uh, at this point, well, they, they did solidify a bit of cooperation because the dwar- dwarves had built a wall across Blackfire Pass and uh, held it until uh, basically Sigmar had yelled and beaten all of the other tribe leaders to follow him into defeating the Greenskins at that pass. And they really did. It took about a thousand years for the Greenskins to actually recover. That's how badly they were beaten by an alliance with dwarves and men. And the leaders of these tribes were later pretty much the first... uh, of the Elector Counts, because they were the ones that got the rune fangs from the dwarves. Yeah. Yeah, and since then, they've pro- pretty much kept the Greenskins out of Blackfire Pass. So they're, they're mostly in the, the, the Badlands, or, yeah, the, like, south of it. And the Blackfire Pass is, like, the only big opening into the Empire. Yeah. So they plugged the gap and could start re- building their Empire. Well, they missed the one that rampaged through it and lay waste to the southern part of the empire, but uh, that's not the story for this retelling, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's a big part of the story, though. Blackfire Pass. There's always yeah. incursions there, and like a lot of the storylines start with something slipping through Blackfire Pass. Yeah, and it's in one book I read it was basically guarded by eight people at this point, <laughs> and they weren't really allowed to sneak through unless, but one of them recognized them. So. But by those eight people that guarded the Blackfire Pass, one of them recognized it and then was fine to just, hey, just walk through. We don't really care. We're not really guarding anyway. I mean, what? But after this, with uh, a new ally, the dwarves uh, started to prosper again. And uh, they, since the dwarves had a lot of knowledge uh, with, when it comes to building and engineering, they started to teach humans in exchange for whatever the humans, whatever they needed, basically where it gold or just information or whatever. I'm going to help you with yeah, the house. Uh, timber. It's like yeah. 
timber and food, pretty much. I think those are like yeah. the, the main two things that the dwarves uh, want from the, the humans. Yeah. And one of the most important things the dwarves actually thought, thought the humans wasn't their secrets of black powder because they, that they, they did that as well for handguns and stuff and cannons. But uh, they did teach them to, be, to brew beer that wasn't shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But as we said, the dwarves had lost a lot of people at this point. A lot of pe- people had died, and a lot of a lot of holes had fallen. And that also meant that they have lost a lot of knowledge on how to make the most powerful rune items and how to. Because most of the ancient rune lords were, were, had died during the war, war against the high elves, even and definitely yeah. during the war against the goblins. So that all the knowledge was lost, and all of those people. The manpower lost. They, it meant that they had to start really, really pushing it when it come came to technology. Instead, yeah, it's great that in one of the uh, Godric and Felix books when they're I'm not gonna say which one of them, but they're in a lost hold and there's like glowing stones. Uh, yeah. And Godric is like, oh yeah, well, we haven't been able to make these in thousands of years. So each one of these yeah. lost is like a, a piece of memory lost. Quite interesting because they did replace most of their crossbows and bolt throwers and catapults that they had used for previous 4,000 years. Well, I'm just going to build these 800 cannons instead. Yeah. Uh, all these uh, rifles and all these. Because they really had to. There were so few dwarves left compared to... The, the need well, to, to, compared to the manpower needed to man the walls and tunnels of all of the holes that were still left. Yeah, if you don't have quantity, you need quality. Yeah, that's also why they probably upgraded all of the armor on all of the iron breakers and stuff. Yeah, it's also like uh, fits the story very well uh, and like why they are such a an elite army, few troops, but. Each each yeah. guy is worth five of another army. Yeah, and at this point, they also started to use the technology for all of all of the, all of the other stuff they were basically doing, like the mining. They started to use steam powered drills instead, because even though dwarves are really really great at uh, mining and, sh- and burrowing through rock with pickaxes and everything. You can't really beat something that can do a machine that can do the work of ten or twenty dwarves at once. Yeah, even though I bet there's a lot of dwarves that would argue that. Yeah, but the most more traditional ones, yes, but not the younger clans. Yeah, but uh, they also invented because uh, we all know that everyone in this uh, <laughs> the setting is really technology technological advanced, and so the dwarves obviously built trains. And they, they built the first steam tanks. Even though they can't have a steam tank in the game, they built the first ones and the Empire copied them pretty much. At least according to the dwarves, because they would never admit anything else. And they also built, because the city of Barakwar is a great port city and it needed something to defend it and a better fleet. So they built ironclads, which are basically large battleships clad in metal. Yeah, like uh, those uh, monitor ships from the American yeah. Civil War, pretty much. Yeah, uh, just a lot bigger with more cannons. <laughs> yeah, which is they're great. so great. There are even some of them that are large enough to actually have uh, some gyrocopters on them, 
that's quite far from uh, the state they were in before when they said, yeah, the technology is fine, but we're going to just uh, continue making all of these runes instead. So all of a sudden, Steve Power, everything, just because we can't really make runes anymore. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, like, a lot of the words are still traditional, and especially, I would say, in the engineering guild. Uh, so there are, yeah. like, a lot of crazy inventions, but I think a lot of them won't see widespread use. Like, uh, uh, th no. th they were pretty... Took it them quite a while to accept the organ gun and the gyrocopter. There's a lot of dwarves that still don't like the, the idea of a gyrocopter. They believe that a dwarf's feet should be firmly planted on the ground. And the, this is for, from the people that during, just to go back a bit, during the War of Vengeance technically built uh, battleship Zeppelins. So, yeah. But that was, uh, that was needed. The, the organ gun isn't needed. That's just uh, fancy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I really like the the dwarves in the setting now, uh, like the current timeline that uh, they are pretty like a tragic race. There's not a lot left of them, and they're just bitterly holding out, trying to survive and trying to claw back some of their old glory. But they are very much depleted, and there's like a story of like a a massive gate that has like small gates inside of them that gets used from time to time, but are most often closed. And if they have any visitors, any humans, they most of the time won't let them in. And like the, the main gate hasn't been open in a hundred years because yeah. they just never march out anymore. They, just, they can't attack. They have to defend all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, almost how this, because during the war, uh, Storm of Chaos, the fleet of uh, Maracuar sailed up to well, to aid the Empire against all the Norske pirates. That meant uh, a, I think it was a goblin and orc fleet that uh, started to besiege the city, and they didn't have the manpower to actually repel it anymore. Yeah, they are very, like, scarce. Yeah, they're still a lot pow more powerful body-to-body uh, -body than a human, though. Yeah. Uh, and just in, in recent history, uh, like the dwarves were very like uh, downtrodden. But uh, until the, the Great War of Chaos, so not our Chaos War, but the, the big chaos incursion before that, 200 years before that, uh, the dwarves are still holding out in, uh, in Norska. A lot of the holes are still there. And uh, yeah. what, what's the, the, I keep forgetting the name of the hole. The, the main North. one is uh, Krakadrak, isn't it? Yeah, and then the one that Gotrek and Felix visits. Yeah, that's Karagdum. That one yeah. is that one was lost into the chaos wastes during this during the expansion of uh, chaos that's, that we're talking about during Magnus the Pines yeah, yeah. time. Because that one was lost, and for, but for them it has only taken I think twenty years, but it relatively taken two hundred years for everyone else. Yeah, it's crazy. And like those holes were still holding out for a very very long time, and then. They were only yeah. lost pretty recently. Yeah, and Crocodrax still stands, I think, because... Uh, I don't know. I, I've read different things. I think I uh, read somewhere that they were lost uh, during Archaeon's war. Oh, that might be true, actually. Uh, no, it was uh, destroyed, because obviously I had to shake it because we need to be somewhat accurate, don't we? Uh, Krakadrak was completely destroyed during the War in the Mountains, which was 2302 to 2390, by the Chaos Hordes under Valmir Aisling. Mm. Yep. There you go. It's a damn shame. 
used to be 16,000 dwarves living there. Yeah, that's not a lot. No, no but uh, what do you call it? The holes were still quite uh, still quite impressive that they actually built and maintained holes in the nor in Norska, surrounded by chaos for so long. Yeah. All right. I think that's, that's most of the, the background, right? Should we talk some? some well, we could, should just just gonna because we I know that we, since we have, actually have reco- recorded the next part of the episode already, he's gonna spoil that for people. Um, we do go through some of the characters in uh, in that. Oh yeah, that's true. But we could mention something that's been happening. That's the most recent uh, in uh, the lore, which is uh, Thorin Grudgebearer, who became king because he did visit the Norska dwarves where they still lived. And depending on which is source we actually read, Trakadrak is actually still standing. So. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> it's very. <laughs> and it's got another king. Oh, well, it might be uh, resettled, you never know. Yeah. Dwarves, yeah so Thor- Thorgrim went up there and reestablished contact with the, the Norsk yeah. and dwarves. And they did also go through to several holes, old holes that had fallen and bring back relics to the. Yeah, and then. Dwar- then he brought the relics and the Norsecan dwarves down to the, the proceedings to see who would be named the new king. And he just burst yeah. through the, the hall with his Norsecan dwarf followers and all these ancient axes. And he showed them to the rune lords yeah. and made them cry because they had only heard about these weapons in legend. Yeah. And uh, yeah. He also, because well, there, there was a challenge set by the old high king who basically lived out of spite and an annoyance. And uh, just wanted to see his uh, successor properly tested and uh, invested because he died right after Thorgrim was made king. But there were also there were two other, uh, or at least one other contestant that was probably worthy of being high king, and that was uh, Ungram Iron Fist of Cadrin. But uh, what Thorgrim had done was so much better than what he had done. Because he had brought lost dwarves back. He had found several important pieces of whatever. Because you never know with dwarves, anything might be important. Relics. Yeah. That's just my inner elf talking, I think. Stupid (laughs) stupid dwarves. Uh, Well, but he was selected to become high king. and uh, basically, what he, his what he, what his motto was of this is, all of the grudges in the Great Book of Grudges will be avenged. That is aim with his rule. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty hard promise to keep. Yeah, it was a good goal. It yeah, motivated think, the dwarves to uh, go out and try and be great, great again. Yeah, somehow I think it's only the major grudges in that book. It's not those. Oh. He, this dwarf cut in front of me in the line. I have a grudge against him. <laughs> well, this soup was a bit cold when I got it. I have a grudge against this establishment because I don't really think those are the grudges he's meant to avenge. But he also started with uh, what is Belagor Iron Fist? What is it called? The because they started to reconquer Tarak Eight Peaks. After this as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now that we've gone through 
most of the history, I would say. Should we talk just about like dwarves as characters? Like what makes dwarves a dwarf? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, is there one thing here that I've noted just because it's right before him. I don't know if it's the rule of them or the just an organization. Because we might win. We got the high king, which is a king that is more or less elected because he controls everything, but he can't really control anything without the consent of the kings. Because if they they can still say no. Yeah. Which happened or do whatever they want, even though the high king is the one supposed to be the ruler. He's the wisest usually so got the hiking and below that we've got the king which king is a leader of a hold basically or a city then we've got a thane which is the, the lower ranks of nobles which can be everything from like sons to to or distant relatives to kings or yeah, le- leaders of clans as well right yeah clan leaders uh, leaders of uh, mine settlements and stuff like that that aren't important enough to be a king basically that's not a hold it's just a mine but some of the mines are cities to themselves basically yeah yeah like this entire hierarchy is like from the bottom up that the thane is elected by the, the clan and they only rule like by their wish and then it goes up like that so the the king's only ruled by the thane's will and the high king only rules by the, the king's will and then we have a council of elders which is basically the advisors to all of the kings because these these dwarves have lived for 400 years plus you should probably listen to them they know yeah. most they've seen it all they know most of the things they know all the trade secrets and goblins were way bigger in their day yeah and ratman didn't exist they used a figment of imagination but uh, below this there's or aside this uh, side side uh, the royal or the nobles there's also an organization that we mentioned that we have the clans and these are usually subservient to a thane or a king depending on how big they are and the clans uh, are everything from like small settlements to uh, down to like family groups depending on money they have left and then we have the guilds i mentioned the engineer guild before we have the warrior guild we have the smith guild the rune I think there's two rune guilds because one of them deals with uh, rune crafting and magic and the other one deals with uh, history and lore keeping and stuff mm-hmm. and so on and so on there are several ones there are one one guild that basically deals with sheep farming <laughs> or mushroom farming depending on how deep they are but the, the guilds and the clans they do overlap a bit because some clans are basically wholly within a guild where as some individual dwarves might go off to another guild just to try to find a way in life or if they're really adept at uh, gem cutting they might join the gem cutter guild instead of their family's sheep sharing guild because both are necessary skills but if you're better at one thing you should probably do that for the betterment of all of the dwarves yeah yeah the clan structure is very important for dwarves that they're very family orientated yeah so these uh, two structures live a bit by, side by side, but they're also intermingled. And that's probably the best way to say it, because the guilds are powerful and the clans are powerful in their own rights. And uh, that's what, what makes up the dwarven society, other than the nobles and the priests and stuff like that. Yeah. There, and just a quick one. 
There are several types of dwarf that we mentioned. We mentioned the regular uh, imperial dwarf, we mentioned the Norsecan dwarf, we mentioned the unmentionable dwarves. There are also a great dwarf, which is a dwarf from the Great Mountains, which is one of the young youngling clans or refugee clans. And we have the, the, the well, there are two mentions of imperial dwarves. One is the ones that lives in the Dwarven Empire, and one is a dwarf that lives in the Empire. So I'm so glad I don't confuse this for people trying to mention this to others. Because Imperial Dwarves might also be a city dwarf living in like Nol or Altdorf and trading and teaching humans and building stuff for humans. Yeah, they used to have uh, models of those back in like third and fourth edition with like yeah. office sleeve dwarves. Yeah, they used to, they didn't have uh, their own army book in the beginning. They were a part of the Empire book, basically. Yeah. But that's probably enough about that. You wanted to mention something about what makes a dwarf. Yeah, just talking about because we've been talking about the history of dwarves and what they've been up to, but I just want to talk about like what makes a dwarf a dwarf and how do they act and why do people like dwarves. So a dwarf is short, stocky, and prides himself on a long beard, wisdom, and wealth. And yeah. this can usually be shown by your long beard. Uh, so why, why do you think people like dwarves so much, Chris, these stubborn annoying guys just because they are stubborn and they're like an implacable force they're they're an anvil that just have to break that the enemy has to break on upon they they never yeah. back down they just they're just there Dep no matter what is thrown at them they're just there yeah i also think that the people like it's also like a the the like some people really like dwarves and some people really hate dwarves, which I've noticed later. Like I thought everyone liked dwarves. Dwarves are awesome, but some people really don't like dwarves. But I think that people have a lot of opinion about them because they are like the closest things to humans in this fantasy setting. Because you have a lot of races, but a dwarf is pretty much like a human and then you change some things around while other races are uh, a lot harder to relate to, like orcs. Dwarf females don't have beards. They have long hair and they braid their hair in the same way as the male dwarves braid their beard so what makes a dwarf a dwarf yeah and uh, apart from the well obvious difference between a man and a, they're really no big difference because they're about the same size and about as strong <laughs> yeah <laughs> and one thing to be said though for dwarves that they have an extraordinary long lifespan if they manage it yeah and then it's never really said like how long they live uh but yeah I, i'd say basically like an 80 year old dwarf is like that's when you they start becoming an adult oh they, they actually i read read up on this and they they do age a bit slower than humans because you basically become a teenager or something like that when you're 25 and then there's a long span up to like as you said 80 or 120 in between there where you actually become a grown-up yeah so that's and, and that, yeah and they can be easily become 400 years if they don't get hurt in battle or actually yeah yeah uh, like uh, 80 that's when you're starting to become an adult like in like in your mid-20s for a human and then yeah. if he's like like a, a dwarf in his prime it's like 300 years old it's like you have a lot of experience, but you're still very yeah. vital. 400 plus, you become a living ancestor. Yeah. Or basically an elder, real elder. 
yeah so that, that's like when you start becoming like like a rune smith and rune lords like you have to be like 400 years old to to actually know your stuff and yeah like it, i would say like a, the maximum age is close to like 800 or something like uh, a really old rune lord craig the grim died when it was but that's like an case as well. Yeah, but that's because depending on how strong your will is, don't diminish by age at, like a human do. Yeah. Older human gets the frailer and dwarves don't really get diseases unless they're scaven made. Yeah, I love that in uh, one of the Gordon and Felix books as well. Like there's a, there's a play going on and Felix is like, oh, shouldn't you try and be careful and not get infected? And Godric's like, no, only weak humans get affected by that thing. Dwarves don't get sick. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the gifts from uh, Valeria. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of more with dwarves, why people like dwarves so much is because dwarves like beer so much. I'd say that yeah. that's a great thing about dwarves. And they even made Bugma's Bar at the Games Workshop uh, or Warmer World. Yeah. So that's like one of the greatest things about dwarves. And everyone knows Bugman. Yeah. There was even... There's even been like full campaigns about his brewery in the old world, which is nice. Yeah. And I also think people like dwarves from the aesthetics of them. They they look yeah. quite they all they look like a mix of traditional and fantasy. They're like a traditional yeah. real. They look real some somehow. Yeah, these look super badass. He's looking at this army book. Like they look like uh, a mix between uh, Vikings and just super ancient warriors and also they're yeah. super stocky and their armor is magnificent and all their uh, weapons are master crafted with tiny little details and inscriptions and stuff there's there's badass they're like the definition of badass oh yeah oh, i love dwarves so much uh, and like their their background they're uh, as i said like they look a bit like vikings they have a bit of a viking vibe especially with the runes as well and their their gods are a bit Vikingish, and their names are a bit uh, Scandinavian inspired. Yep. And we talked with uh, Thomas Perrinen about this actually, like when we were doing the Mornheim episode. I just had to ask him because uh, in this army book they have like the dwarf language, and they have some dwarf words and some some dwarf grammar, and it's 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 a mix between like actual grammar and just made up stuff. But it's so good, like it such great background to actually show like a really great depth in their background and their character. Yeah, it really do give that little extra to the army that they have invested that much in, well, that much energy on something that really don't matter for the game, but it matter for the feel yeah. of the army. Somehow I think we could talk about this for forever, basically. Yeah, yeah, I definitely could. <laughs> Just so much good stuff. But I think to keep this episode uh, like to a listenable length, maybe we should cut over to our uh, review of the actual rules for these guys. Arrows are useless against a castle. You can only win by using heavy wall breaching equipment, which is why dwarfs are the superior race in siege warfare. If you are the besieger, you can't hit anything worthwhile at all. If you are inside the castle, you might think arrow fire would be effective from the towers, but which would you prefer to be hit by, a pointy stick or a 30 pounds rock? Burnt Lava Spear, The Dwarf and Art of War 
and welcome back. Now that we had uh, our little rundown of the fluff, well, maybe we should talk about, well, the rules. Yeah, down to the meat of it. So now we've uh, talked about these indomitable warriors, where they're from, and uh, what they're capable of. But what are they capable of on the battlefield, and how are they represented in the rules? Because, I mean, after all, this is a game, and you want to know how tough these guys are on the stat line. Yeah, and uh, how fast their stubby, stubby little legs can carry them across the battlefield. Yeah, so, like, since forever, since dwarves have been in from the beginning of the game, they've always been, like, a heavy infantry force. Really slow, heavily armored, good fighters, as you would expect, pretty much. Yeah, and they they have more than one playstyle, which is really good, but one of the most interesting ones are the ones that we're actually moving and not just being static and gunliney. At least, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, gunline can seems to be like the the go-to answer when you're thinking of making a dwarf army. Uh, personally, I I want to try and make more like more close combat units. Uh, but I think it's kind of hard like to find that balance of uh, enough shooting to make your opponent come to you to fight and too much shooting just to make the game boring. Yeah, and as we alluded to, we're going to probably mention this now, a dwarf has a movement of three, which is not the greatest in the game. In fact, it's probably the worst in the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, dwarves have some special rules to help with that, though. I think they've had them since, uh, I don't know, since forever, I don't know. But uh, I checked the 4th edition book. We're mainly going to talk about the 6th edition rules. We're also going to like mention the differences between 6th uh, edition and uh, mostly 4th slash 5th edition, because they use the same book, and how they evolved into 8th edition. Indeed. Uh, dwarves, it's pretty easy to talk about them throughout the editions, though, because they haven't changed that much. They pretty much have the same units in, in all of Warhammer. They added a few versions of units in the 8th edition, but they're, they've mostly been the same. Because they are dwarves, they're, they don't want to change. Yeah, and the conservative, we don't really want to in invent anything, race. Since everything is perfect as it is, all of a sudden had flamethrowers in... <laughs> The, yep. I mean, just they just appeared, and bigger gyrocopters. But that makes sense because they do have airships. At least one. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe they had flamethrowers before. Maybe they just weren't like uh, mainstream. They probably have all kinds of crazy. They probably had like repeater handguns and stuff. Just they yeah. they're not in the rules because they're not yeah. that common. Or it's that they just don't want to show the lesser races that they have better stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is for my wall. It's just going to be on my wall. That's how it is. So uh, dwarves have some uh, unique uh, army special rules. They have uh, resolute that makes them able to march no matter if they're march blocked or not. They don't really care about it. I know in 8th edition, you can roll leadership test to march anyway. But in 6th edition, it's pretty important to be able to march yeah. even if there's enemies close to you. As we said, that the movement of three doesn't make for that great of a march anyway. So being able to move when you need to is really good. Yeah, and since they are also slow, they uh, they don't pursue or flee as fast. They have a two d six minus one, so they might not always be able to catch the enemy when they flee. Yeah, but there's where the well those short little legs again. Yeah, always those short little legs. 
Uh, and they also hate green skins, which is really nice, nice thematic thing. Uh, I know night goblins yeah. hate dwarves as well. So like when when those guys fight, it's gonna be a real show now. Yeah, but they they've been fighting forever uh, around the Karak Eight Peaks. So that's all, yeah, all not the... not just there, everywhere. Yeah, I was thinking of the most famous fallen city that they have taken. But on the other hand, there's a lot of Skaven in uh, Karak Eight Peaks as well. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. I was checking in the 8th edition book. I can't remember if they gave them Hatred Skaven as well. Uh, I know in the 8th edition, they also added, uh, like you have a chart that you roll on before the game begins. Uh, it's like a D3 chart. And on a 1, your general hates their general. On a uh, 2 to 3, or 3 to 4, uh, all your characters hate their characters. And a 5 to 6, your entire army hates their entire army. That is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I, like, I'm not super keen on, like, uh, let's roll what the background is for this battle. No, not at all, not at all. It's just weird to, that you have to do it. Yeah, because they have that in some other games, like uh, in 30k, for example, they have a warlord trait. And I always just hate when it's like, oh, your background is this today. Like, oh, your, your yeah. character, do you spend time building the background for? Oh, now he's it's not what you think he is. And now we can scout or infiltrate yeah. or something <laughs> Yeah, my Iron Hand Praetor can infiltrate himself. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and they also gave uh, some extra rules for dwarves in 8th edition. Like uh, when you get charged, you get plus one to your parry if you have a parry. So in 8th edition, you get an invulnerable save uh, instead of a plus one to your armor. And uh, uh, you get plus one strength when you charge as a dwarf in 8th edition, which is pretty cool. As Gimli mm -hmm. said, they're deadly at short distances. Yeah, but it's, so, uh, it's nice that they have tweaked them a bit because in the fluff, they, they are more deadly when they are just running up and just slamming their entire body weight behind their axe or hammer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so those those are the, the army special rules. And uh, besides that, like the, the big difference between dwarves and other races is their ability to craft rune weapons, which oh, is yeah. like my favorite thing with dwarves. I, I've always been in love with the, the rune crafting thing. So uh, other races used to open their vaults and they had like the blade of striking or a really big dagger or cloak of not being able to strike me very well. Or, or cloak of uh, dwarven beards. Yeah, yeah, shit like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're, the power of shaping all those runes is what made the empire pay for all the rune fangs. And they have yeah. one per elector count. That just shows how expensive those weapons are for non-dwarves. Yeah. Then you have uh, this dwarf that basically, this is my sheath knife of extra cutting. It's got a cutting rune on it. Yeah. So dwarves, instead of having just a list of magic items, they have runes. And they have weapon runes, armor runes, runic talismans, engineering runes, uh, and runic banners. Yeah, and they pretty much correspond to their the equivalents on every other races, like weapons, armor, talismans, and enchanted items and stuff like that. So. Yeah, the difference is that you can you can put several runes onto one item, so you can have several effects on your sword, and you can 
uh, you can customize it. So they have, for example, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen different weapon runes that you can use in different combinations. And uh, there are rules to this. Of course, there are rules with the dwarves. And I really like these rules because they're like, it really feels like you're crafting a magic item and you're listening to a runesmith sitting behind you like, no, can't do that. Must strike the rune in moonlight. Uh, precise cut. That is pretty much one of the short stories in uh, one uh, one of the, I think the Age of Sundering, whatever it's called, that era book of short stories, Black Library released. Where, well, they master, were crafting master, a... Yeah, Master Runesmith is basically trying to get his uh, apprentice to forge a proper rune. And uh, he's just messing it up all the time. And he just, <laughs> it just basically, back in my day, that wouldn't happen. And stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, classic dwarves. Yeah. So you have some uh, uh, rules for the runes. First one is rule of three. You can't have more than three runes on one item. Uh, rune of rule of form. You can only have weapon runes on weapons, obviously. Uh, you can have uh, more than one item with the same combination. This is a rule of pride because no dwarf wants to make the same weapon twice if it takes that long to make it. Yeah, where they can make uh, twelve identical rune fangs, they can't make two identical hammers just because that's not how they show off their own craftsmanship within their. Yeah, well, they're not for humans, these weapons. Like, who cares yeah. what the humans use? These uh, mass-produced uh, shit to sell and then uh, mastercraft everything themselves. Yeah. And they have uh, jealous runes. You can't have more than one of each m- master rune. And the master runes are the most powerful runes of their type in uh, the rune list. Yeah, and you can't have more than one master rune on the same weapon. Well, unless you play War of the Bear, but we're not going to go into that in this episode. Yeah, that's that's what the dwarves keep saying. Everything was better in the olden days. Yeah, and back in those days, during the War of the Bitter, we were saying everything was back, better in the good old days when they could summon, <laughs> well, golems. The gods were around. When they had golems. Yeah. Oh, I remember. I remember. <clears throat> all right. So, yeah, we all love runes. Uh, but this they, uh, did change a bit for 8th edition, didn't it? Yes, yeah. Good that you mentioned it. First of all, in 4th and 5th edition, uh, magic weapons uh, worked different in general. Because then you had like cards with magic items that you put on your character. And you could only have a certain amount of cards uh, on your character. But the runes, like, it was the same thing. You could put several effects on one of those cards put on your character. And then you got 6th edition, which we talked about now with these rules. And then in 8th edition, they added some uh, interesting abilities. Like, because you can have... Uh, several of the same rune, so you have, like the rune of might that you, the, or the let's say the rune of fury adds plus one attack. Uh, and in eighth edition, well, if this costs twenty five points, uh, but then if you buy two, it might have been uh, forty points, and then it would be plus one attack. Well, it's uh, sixty points. It's sixty points in it for two. No, okay. Well, I, you, I checked you, just because I wanted to. You actually got the book in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I also checked because I wanted to know because I haven't looked that much into the 8th edition book. So what does uh, 2 Rune of Fury give you in 8th edition? If, if you get 1, you get plus 1 attack. If you get 2 runes, you get uh, 1 attack and the Frenzy special rune. And then you yeah. can, for 100 points, you can get 3 of them. Then you get 1 attack, the Frenzy special rule, and after each successful roll to hit, it grants its user another attack roll to hit and to wound as normal. Attacks generated in this way do not generate generate further attacks. So yep. you can buff your weapons 
with the same rune in eighth edition. Yeah, so this is really cool, I think, because you get so many more combinations that you could put on your weapons. Because in sixth edition, that would just be seventy-five points plus three attacks. But you will you should almost always take the rune that makes your axe go flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to do that so bad in uh, the War of the Beard when it's no longer a master rune. And it's, yeah, we talked about yeah. this. And then have rune of breaking and just break shit, like toss, tossing your hammer and breaking stuff. Yeah, it's magical. Because the rune of flight does, uh, the hammer can be thrown at any model inside and within twelve inches, including models which can't cannot be singled out by normal shooting, like yeah, characters so inside good. units. <laughs> The target is automatically hit once, and if the two models were in close, as if the two models were in close combat, then the hammer flies back into Wheeler's hand. So it is quite useful if you want to single out a wizard or put a rune of fire on it and throw it at a treeman or a mummy. Or yeah, it's pretty something. terrific. Yeah, I might do that actually. I'm planning on building a guy with a hammer. Mm. And that, that's always also like you read this rune and you go like, oh shit, I really want to take this. But then you never end up taking it because, I mean, it's very situational and it's 50 points. Yeah, but it is an auto-hitting attack within 12 inches of the character. So if you have yeah. the points, you can build that weapon just to see the shock on your opponent's face when you throw your hammer <laughs> at them. Yeah. yeah it, can be used, uh, it can be used as a standing shoot as well, right? It's just uh, a standard attack, so don't Should think be you can... There's probably an FAQ for that if there's or an, if there is any problem with it. So, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So runes, I love you spending time going through this book and just coming up with different rune combinations. Uh, it's, it's really fun building lists with dwarfs because you you go first like oh I got a thousand points to build and then you go to like nine hundred and then you just go over the runes back and forth back and forth to try and come up with all kinds of crazy runic items i just did a sad thing and checked uh, that rune in uh, the 6.5 book and what did you come up with may not be used by slayer characters oh, poor that's, guy. The poor that's the first thing it says uh, but it is for 10 points cheaper so. well slayers don't use hammers so that makes sense snorri does snorri is mad no. yeah snorri got uh, nails hammered into his head so can't really take that as a serious thing i think all right so after the runes, you get onto the the list of units. So as I said, the units haven't changed much through the editions. So let's maybe go through them. Uh, in the Lord slot, you have a Lord, just called a Lord in this book. I don't know if he's called anything else in the other books, uh, but he is a Dwarf Lord. Yeah, he's because uh, we are also have the 6 and the 6.5 book, basically they're text to each other now. And uh, when I mentioned some, there are some changes, some differences between them that might be good to know. And the biggest uh, thing between these two are that he's called a lord in one of them and a dwarf lord in the other. I'm not really sure why <laughs> they make that make that clear. Yeah, I'm not really sure why they had to clarify that one actually. What I thought it was a high elf lord in this book. Uh, oh, and for those that are like, what does Chris mean by 6.5? So in 6th edition, there were two dwarf books released. One pretty early, and then one was released just at the end of 6th edition, uh, which is why it's known as 6.5. And it was used throughout 7th edition and yeah. part of 8th edition. The second one, the 6.5, was mentioned, was released in 2005, which is two years before 7th edition, but it is 
the same layout and style as the seventh edition books that were later released. There were a few of these released, and those are you can see they have a border around the front front cover and a red, an orange spine instead of a color fitting the army spine. Actually, actually, uh, or did they do that with the blue one as well? Yes, yeah, they reprinted it. So there's ah. one without a border, one with a border. You see, you see, I have the prop. Uh, I have the proper one when, when from when it was first released. You know. Yeah, I, I have both. Did they did they upgrade uh, update it with the uh, Errata for that book? I don't think so. I think I, I went through both of them. I think there were no changes actually. So it's literally just a reprint with that border. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Uh, all right, so a lord, he's movement three, weapon skill seven. It's pretty decent. Well, this is skill four, which is uh, really good for a dwarf. Uh, strength four, toughness five, three wounds, initiative four, four attacks, leadership ten, leadership ten. That's that's, that's good stuff. Yeah, he won't run that you do this. Yeah, and he can take a great weapon, pistol, Crossbow, handgun, light armor, heavy armor, gromlin armor, and gromlin armor is of course a four plus save. They carry shield and can take 125 points worth of rudic items. Yeah, and I was going to mention the only differences between uh, these two are that the in the second book that we mentioned, uh, the dwarf lord gets gromlin armor for free because it's in his standard equipment equipment, and uh, he can uh, take an old stone or be carried into battle by shield bearers, which are two upgrades from the. Six point five books. Yeah, I don't know. It's so strange that he doesn't even come with armor. It doesn't even come with light armor, so you can just run like a a bare-chested dwarf lord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that is, you can just uh, get him like a mankini and put runes on it. Like, good enough. <laughs> no, he, you actually you have to have like a, an item to runically inscribe, which is a bit weird yeah. as well, because like there's this item, uh, Master Rune Gromril, that gives you up one plus armor save, no matter what armor you have, uh, but you have to buy the put... armor first. No, no, yeah, you have to buy the like a light armor to put it on. Yeah. What you use the light armor mankini for, just put that on. <laughs> it's a cod piece. We've all seen the model of uh, Gargrimire. <laughs> I mean, he has nothing on him. Gargrimire has nothing on him. <laughs> Yeah, the Ned Flanders guy. Uh, all right, yeah. so uh, I don't know. Like lords are good fighting characters. I think they they're still pretty immovable, so pretty easy to avoid. Like if you buff him up really good, then the enemy is still gonna be able to kind of ignore him. Um, but uh, if you, since you can make them really pricey, if you put uh, those one hundred twenty five points of uh, armor runes on them, and then put keep them out at my maximum and put them in a large unit it might be almost unbreakable at unit but it can be really expensive as well yeah all uh, right so next we have a rune lord top dog uh move three web skill six but skill four strength four toughness five three wounds initiative three two attacks leadership ten so yeah it's pretty old and slow not many attacks but you don't want him to be fighty you just want him to carry runic talismans to cancel out magic uh, so rune lords and rune smiths give you one additional dispel dice. I kind of think that a rune lord should give you two. That he should be better than a rune smith. But then again, he can take more magic items to cancel. Yeah, and he can take uh, like rune of breaking and stuff. Well, the, the spell breaking rune and stuff like that. Yeah. The one so, that, that that's the one that uh, basically removes a spell from the game, isn't it? Yeah, it's the spell eater rune, and that's not even a master rune. So you can take several of those. Yeah. 
And mm. you can take a couple of rune of luck, reroll those four plus to remove the spell. Yeah, and he can be kitted out almost the same as the Lord, basically, except yeah. for the shooting weapons. Yeah. But what can he also take? can take the Anvil of Doom. So the Anvil yeah. of Doom has always been like an iconic dwarf thing, uh, but uh, it's never really been that good, I think. Like people are always like, no, no. it's not really worth it. Not in sixth, at least. It was fun and situational, but you could take spend those points on something better, probably. Yeah, so it's 200 points. Uh, and uh, here's another difference between the sixth book and 6.5. Uh, so in the first sixth book, it was like you were casting magic with it, uh, just like normal with Paradise. And in the 6.5 one, it was like, it's magic, but not magic. So you just rolled like, a, uh, you had three powers i think and then those powers had like the first strength and the second strength the first one was on a two plus and it was pretty weak and then the second one was on a four plus so it was really good but you would only get it off half of the time yeah and uh also i have to note that uh, it do give away extra victory points if the enemy takes this one or kills it yeah it's like the pride and joy of any hold but only if they take it in close combat not if they shoot it off the table. Yeah. Uh, how do you rate Rune Lords? Would you take Rune Lords? For fluff reasons and fun reasons, yes. They're not yeah, like, necessary, but they're fun to take in larger battles. Yeah, if I were to play like a really big battle, then I would definitely... I have an anvil, so I would definitely use it. Uh, but I think most of the time, like two Runesmiths are the same cost as one Rune Lord. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it is if you really want the anvil, you take the Rune Lord, I think. Yeah. And it's cool, but you can't really do anything with it unless it gets charged if it's in the, on the battlefield and you don't cast proper spells with it. Yeah. So to speak. And also, like, the, the Rune Lord has fighter stats, but you don't really want him, fight him fighting anyway. You want to use him to dispel stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, the third and last lore choice is a Demon Slayer. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a Slayer, of course. It's got move 3, weapon skill 7, ballistic skill 3, doesn't really matter. Uh, strength 4, toughness 5, 3 wounds, initiative 5, 4 attacks, leadership 10. Yeah, so it's basically almost the same stat line as a regular Lord, just as it's crap at shooting. Yeah, and it's got no armor, just a hand weapon. Uh, special rules, Slayer, Unbreakable, Loner. Slayer is that uh, you your strength goes up to the same toughness as the thing you're fighting to a maximum of 5. So if he's fighting something big, then he'll at least get strength 5. Uh, unbreakable, well, everyone knows that. He doesn't run. And Loner, he can only go alone or with a unit of Slayers. Yeah, but that's... Uh... Quite good to put him in the unit of Slayers to get some kind of ablative wounds since they have no armor. Yeah. And also, 6th edition, you can stand next to a unit and not be targeted. Yeah. As long as you're closer. Or yeah. that, that the unit is closer, so to speak. Yeah. I, I think, like, uh, maybe not a Demon Slayer, maybe a Hero Slayer might be good to just have next to a unit to be able to counter charge and stuff, or to be able to charge, <laughs> like, uh, some yeah. annoying light cavalry trying to flank you or something. If you kit up a demon, sla demon slayer with those 100 points of runes for, for his weapon, basically, he is quite a. How to put this? Well, it's like putting a blender in that unit. Yeah. No, no, not a metaphorical blender, little, literal blender. I mean, demon slayer is like it's so cool. You always want to take one, but it's a lot of points yeah. for something that can be yeah, killed really easily. 
if you kit him up with the since it's 130 points base, he's five points less than a lord. Yeah. He's, however, only 110 points in the 6.5 book. Yeah, that's good. All right, moving on to heroes. Thane, classic Thane. Uh, he is movement three, weapon skill six, ballistic skill four, strength four, toughness four, two wounds, initiative three, three attacks, and leadership nine. I know that in the 6.5 book, he's toughness five, which is really nice. And uh, comes with Gromlil armor as well. Yeah, it's the, the free old Gromlil armor. Uh, in the Ravening Hordes list, if anyone is wondering about that, I know some people really like this uh, list. They're actually leadership 10, which is pretty cool. Well, they are stubborn enough. They should be, really. Yeah. Uh, so these guys can take 75, no, 50 points of magic items, and they can also be the uh, battle standard bearer. And in the 6.5 book, they take 75 points of magic and can have an oat stone to stand on. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. So in some regards, this book is just uh, it's better in every way. It's also 10 points more expensive in the 6.5 book base. Yeah, you get toughness 5 and armor armor. Yeah, for 10 points. Yeah. That's quite a good trade. Yeah. Uh, next one is... Uh, oh, we're going to say something more about the Thane? No, I was going to mention... We, I just remember that we actually did mention that they could be the army battle standard bearer as well. But we yeah. already mentioned that. 25 points. Yeah. Which is quite good because then you can get one of those really nice uh, standard runes on, on him. Yeah, it's actually kind of weird because, like in the dwarf book, there are so many uh, banner runes that can only be taken on the battle standard because all the other units have like fifty point limitations, and there are so many that cost more than fifty. It's strange. Uh, all right, next one is rune smith. Uh, move three. Uh, do I even have to say move anymore? All of the dwarfs are moved three. No, everyone else is just skip move unless we talk about the only thing that can fly. Yeah. So it's weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 4, strength 4, toughness 4, 2 wounds, initiative 2, 2 attacks, leadership 9. And he can take 75 points of magic items, and he's got 1 dispel dice. So yeah, he, he's just good at dispelling stuff. I know in 8th edition, he gives armor piercing to any unit he owns. That's pretty cool. Ooh, that's nice. So he helped out the unit, sharpening yeah. their axes before the battle. But this is also why you basically take these as just for dispelling. Or maybe a minor runic buff or something, because yeah. not, these are not fighting characters. Now, I mean, they're not uh, bad fighters. So, like, if you if they get into combat, it's always a bonus. But you you never want to like put them in a position where you like you want them to fight. Characters. Well, you have to rely on that initiative too. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, they can take pretty good uh, runes that are good against magic. Uh, I got two runesmiths that I plan on using. One of them with the Master Rune of Balance that takes one of the power dice from an enemy and gives me a Dispel Dice, which is like the, the hottest dispelling rune ever. And uh, the second one's got the, the Spell Eater rune to just try and eat away like a, a Comet of Cassandora or some annoying stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that can be a fun spell if, it get, if you get it. If it gets off as well. Yeah. Um, third hero choice, Engineer. Uh, Web skill 4, but skill 4, strength 3, toughness 4, 2 wounds, 2 initiative, 1 attack, leadership 9. Uh, yeah, this guy is there to buff your artillery, and that's it. Yeah, since he has the extra crewman artillery master rule. Yeah, he's uh, a lot better in the 6.5 book, I think. And, uh, he gives entrenchment as well. 
insect yeah. book. In the first one, uh, you can use his ballistic skill for the bolt thrower. Uh, you get what do you get again? The 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 cannon. Uh, oh, should should have had this open. We're talking about him. Stall him, Chris. I'm looking through the book. <laughs> the professionals. Uh, so there we go. Artillery master. Uh, a bolt throw which has been joined by an engineer may use its ballistic skill when rolling to hit. And then we have... Uh, uh, he can also uh, choose to fire at someone else when he has a dwarf and handgun or something than his unit. Yeah, and, so uh, are you reading the 6.5 book now? This is a 6, six, six book. Okay. So uh, I find it here as well. If he's with a cannon or a stone thrower, you may make two guesses for how far you're going to shoot. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And then... Uh, he can also replace a lost crewman, including flame cannon and organ guns. But then he can't shoot his own dwarven handgun or something. Yeah. Can you look up what he does in the 6.5 book? I think the, the abilities change. I think he's like a, an empire engineer. We can like re-roll the... Engineer. The master engineer is adept at operating artillery. If he joins a ball thrower, you may use his ballistic skill. If he joins a grudge thrower, you may re-roll the artillery dice, but not the scattered dice when firing. If he joins a cannon, yeah. it inflicts d6 wounds on en then on enemy hit rather than the normal d3. Yeah, so some different buffs. I think like if you're good at guessing, then the 6.5 buff is just better. And he also grants uh, hard cover to one war machine in the army. Yeah, yeah, that's in the 6.5 cool. book. All right, next one, Dragon Slayer. He's like the Demon Slayer, but smaller. Weapon skill 6, weapon skill 3, strength 4, toughness 4, 2 wounds, initiative 4, 3 attacks, leadership 10. Initiative 4 is pretty decent for a stunty. Yep. He can take a great weapon or a hand weapon and take 50 points of magic weapons. Yeah, I would consider putting in him, him with some slayers or just walking around by himself protecting some flanks. Yeah, you can have him like a surprise lurking next to your large block of infantry as well just yeah. to get that little bonus in combat yeah guardians harpies and light cabin shit like that he's uh, 15 points cheaper in uh, the 6.5 book and can take 15 points well, 25 points more of magic runes of course of course he can yeah uh, all right, so on to the core section. Um, so we got warriors, crossbowmen, thunderers, miners, and rangers. I'm just going to read all of these at once. There's no, they all have the same stat line. So Basically. Weapon skill four, ballistic skill three, strength three, toughness four, one wound, initiative two, one attack, two for the champion, and leadership nine. And they all have this. They used to have different equipment. And different unit sizes. That's not that big of a deal. Yep. Yeah, there's a, a maximum 20 on miners and rangers. Yeah. Uh, other than that, they're all just 10 base and can go up, up and up and up. Uh, so the warriors in this book used to come with hand weapon light armor. And the 6.5 one, they come with heavy armor. But not for free, though. They, they are one point more expensive in the 6.5 book. Yeah. So they actually Which is also what the heavy armor costs in the 6th book. Yeah. So n not a big difference. So yeah, you have your warriors. They can take uh, great weapons or uh, shields or and or shields. Uh, I know in the sixth edition you wanted to put shields on them because you, since the, you couldn't strike back if your models were killed, you wanted to 
it's preserved guys since you couldn't strike back anyway uh and then i remember when eighth edition came and everyone was like oh no everyone should play dwarves with great weapons and then everyone's ripped off their shields and put on great weapons <laughs> yeah uh yeah warriors they're the basic guys or what you would expect is put blocks on them and hold out out forever pretty much uh crossbowmen they have crossbows they may take uh, shields. In the first extradition book, they cannot take great weapons. It's a bit of a shame. They can take shields in both of the books, but they can't take the great weapons in the 6.5 for those that want uh, a bit more clarified, which is quite nice when you can put uh, a giant axe on a short ma man with a crossbow. Yeah, that makes them really versatile. You can both stand around and shoot, and then they can also fight in close combat afterwards. Yeah, which is... Uh, some of the ranged units in the game actually lacks us any kind of uh, even a smidge of a chance of surviving once they then it gets too close. But these can actually fight us almost as good as uh, regular warriors because they don't have the heavy armor. That's why they're yeah. as good. And even then, like they have light armor and shield, and if they just use hand weapons, they still got a four plus armor save and toughness four, weapon skill four, and close combat. They're yeah. really good. Uh, next unit is Thunderers. Uh, these guys have changed, or their guns have changed a lot throughout the editions. And I think, like in fourth and fifth edition, like you would fire one rank, and then the second rank would actually step forward and shoot. Uh, in the first sixth book, uh, the handguns do not have the uh, st uh, move or fire rule, so they can move and shoot, and they are. Uh, what are they? They get some some more accurate rule, short range or something. Uh, but like the the move or fire thing, you would think that this is really good that you could uh, just face forward and then oh the enemy's to my side, let's just face them and shoot them. But that doesn't really work because uh, you would have to do a reform, and if you reform, yeah. you can't shoot anyway. And you could turn your guy, but then it would just be like the one guy at the side you fire. Since I have it in front of me now, I'm just going to mention that the Dwarf Handgun in 6th has a 24-inch range, strength 4, armor piercing, superior design. Uh, a Dwarf Handgun has a plus 1 to hit modifier when firing at short range. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, and in the 6.5 book, they do have move or fire, so they can't move or fire, doesn't really matter. But the superior design rule means that they are plus 1 to hit at any range. So they're plus 1 to hit at long range as well. Which makes them really good. In the first sixth book, you have miners in core. They're moved to special yep. uh, in the second one. So miners can turn up at any board edge throughout the battle. You start rolling on turn two. I think it's a five plus, and then it turns into a four plus, and then three plus, something like that. Maybe it starts with four plus. Yeah, they, they have underground advance anyway, so they can pop up mm -hmm. anywhere, which is really nice for dwarves since they're very slow. It's nice to have just a unit pop up somewhere on the table. And it can be really useful yeah. to threaten the rank of someone advancing towards you, or if you're advancing, and you can really like spring a trap on someone. And uh, yeah, you're, you're always allowed to decide where these guys come up. So it's, it's not random like the, the beastmen ambush thing. And then we have really two of the biggest changes, other than Dave moving to special in uh, the 6.5 book, is that the unit size is 5 plus in the 6.5 book, but 10 to 20 mm -hmm. in the 6.5 book. And oh, nice. they also gain uh, blasting charges for 30 points in the 6.5 book. Basically oh, yeah. Grenade. 
That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, they have heavy armor and great weapons, so yeah, they're pretty fighty. Uh, and then we got rangers, zero to one as well, just like the miners. Uh, they've got great weapons and light armor in the first six book, so they don't even come with crossbows. You can just run them, just like guys with axes and light armor that are just scouting. Yeah. Uh, you can equip them with shields, crossbows, or throwing axes, which is pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, these guys have scouts and foresters, so you can move through forest and you can place them as scouts, which is also a really nice trick for dwarves that are really slow, just be able to put these guys forward a bit. And there's one of the biggest changes, because in the 6.5 book, the rangers are not a unit choice of their own for real, because they are an upgrade option for units of warriors, quarrelers, and longbeards. But armed with great weapons may be upgraded to range at the cost of one point per model. These units have discarded special rules. Yeah. And then, then you can add in uh, throwing access if you want to on top of that. Yeah, and as we're kind of flipping the side special, let's kind of hover back on core and uh, look at another change in the 6.5 rule. So in the 6.5, warriors can be upgraded to longbeards. Um, oh, yeah. You have to have more warriors than you have longbeards, though. So you have to have like one unit of or or equal amount. So you have to have one unit of warriors and one unit of longbeards, unless you have a lord, I think, because then he brings his personal buddies. And, and they uh, got in uh, just mentioned in the the six point five book, they also got a rule that makes lesser dwarves more stoic in the front of the face of the enemy. Yeah, so they have like an, an aura in the six point five book. Uh, in yeah. the First six book, these ignore panic, but in 6.5 book, they give that effect to everyone within six inches, I think. Yeah, it's a nice little boost for the longbeards, but it also means that more people take them when they're not a special choice, because the special choice in the sixth book is really, really full of stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good units in the special choices. It makes it really hard to select an army. Uh, so you got hammers, longbeards, ironbreakers, slayers, cannons, bolt throwers, and stone throwers. Yeah. All the good stuff that you want. So the hammers, the bodyguard of the lords, their weapon skill 5, bonus skill 3, strength 4, toughness 4, 1 wound, initiative 2, 1 attack, leadership 9. And actually, the hammers, longbeards, and ironbreakers have the same profile. So we don't have to read yeah. through all of them. So they're basically dwarves, but uh, weapon skill 5 and strength 4, which is really good. And uh, they can take shields and a magic banner, or an standard at least. Yeah. All of these guys can take uh, 50 points worth of running standards. Uh, you yeah. can have one unit of hammers. They come with great weapon and heavy armor, and they're... They got special rules bodyguards, so they're stubborn if they're with their lord. Really hard to get rid of. Uh, Sadly, they're not immune to panic, which the longbeards are. Yeah, you can give them a banner for that, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah longbeards have great weapon, hand weapon, heavy armor, and shield, uh, and they ignore panic. That's pretty much it. And the ironbreakers have hand weapon, gromerl armor, and shield. So these guys have a 4 plus save usually, or 3 plus save, and a 2 plus save in 6th edition if they're fighting to the front, which is really good. And you you kind of expect the hammers to have Grummer armor if they're like the, the, the bodyguard of your lord, but it's it's kind of a design choice. I mean, because otherwise the Iron Breakers hand, would be nothing special. Yeah, and the Iron Breakers do guard the great tunnels between the holes, so... Yeah. They're probably... As I said, it's probably designed for distinction more than anything else, but it is kind of fluffy that those who fight deepest in the dark all of the time get the best armor. 
those who just sit in the hole and drink beer get slightly worse armor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think uh, all three of these units are really good. The hammers are good if you have a lord. Longbeards are just badasses in general. I think my favorites are the iron breakers though. Just that two plus saving close combat weapon skill five strength four. There's killers. Uh, and then we got yeah. the slayers. We talked about their the rules like they can get up to strength five. Oh, these guys only have strength three base actually, and weapon skill four. They're like normal dwarves that have just lost their their will to go on. They just want to off themselves by getting eaten by troll. Yeah, for a varying uh, degree of uh, shameful acts, like actually doing something to being the victim of a scaven weapon that makes you lose your hair, and thus your beard, <laughs> and thus making you call yourself Leatherbeard. That is for a character you, who are reading the construct books, will get to know if you continue into, into the Nathan Long era. Oh, I look forward to it. Yeah, I just finished the first omnibus. It's so good. So the, the unique thing about Slayers, though, is that they can upgrade any amount of guys to characters, to a giant Slayer from a Troll Slayer. And uh, actually, I looked in the, the Ravening Hordes book, and then it's even crazier, because uh, then you have you don't have the Hero and Lord Slayers. They're in this unit as well. So you can just buy those guys to be in a Slayer unit. Yeah, they're, they're just upgrades. Just yeah. increasing upgrades to more badass Slayer. Yeah, and they all start with one hand weapon, and they can, like, you just mix it. Like, if you want some guy with two axes or one with great weapon, it's crazy. Uh, in the first six book, uh, counts, all of them counts as having just two hand weapons. And in the 6.5 book, you can choose each battle if you want two hand weapons or a great weapon, I think. Yeah, they're just called Slayer Axes in the 6.5 book. So you... Yeah. Just a note that we missed when we went through the hammers and stuff, they are actually just five plus unit size in the 6.5 book, all of them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that word. Just a general note, there are points differences between the, these books in general for the units, but we're not going to go into all of them, mainly because that would mean that we have, would have to go back and talk about warriors again. <laughs> and uh, on, the, on the other hand, it's uh, because... They're not that big, and if you are choosing between playing these two books, you're probably going to notice that yourself. But just beware, there are points differences in the arm list between these two books, even though they're technically from the same uh, iteration of the game. Yeah, yeah, I feels like we're bombarding people with so many numbers anyway. So Yeah, that's uh, probably the third reason why we shouldn't just go through, oh, and this unit is one point cheaper for all of the units. <laughs> yeah. So, don't worry. Uh, war machines. Dwarves are really spoiled with war machines. They have they have all the war machines, all the best war machines. Uh, so they have cannons, ball throwers, stone throwers. Uh, they have the smaller cannon in 6th edition, the one that does D3 wounds instead of D6. And uh, yeah, they're just pretty basic war machines. The big difference is that they can put runes on them that make them really yeah. good. Like uh, a plus hit, plus two hit rune, rune is it on the ball thrower? Or is it two wound? The, they can have plus one strength and they can also have a, a two plus to hit one use only rune they can have uh my favorite fluxons uh because it plus <laughs> one to hit flyers yeah so they're, they're as fun as uh, all of the other runes basically for the dwarf player at least yeah and the the cannon can have the cannon can have the best rune uh, the 
it can reroll the the artillery dice. So just like an Empire Engineer player, like if you roll a misfire, you can just reroll it. But the dwarf player, like if he doesn't misfire the first one, he can then reroll the bounce die. So if you know, like every time you fire a cannon and the cannonball just lands perfectly in front of the enemy unit and then just gets stuck in the mud and does mm -hmm. nothing. Well, the dwarves can just reroll that and just fly through the unit, kill everything. So good. This is then we're going to go for the biggest upgrade in the 6.5 book, which is you may add an engineer equipped with light armor and a hand weapon who acts as a unit champion in all respects for 15 points for the cannon and for the ball thrower and for yeah. the grudge thrower. Yeah, that, that is so huge, actually. And also, all war machines uh, in the 6.5 book are stubborn. Yeah, and you can, uh, since you have that uh, engineer, you can also tool him up a bit and uh, make the make the war machine a bit better, actually. Yeah, give him like a brace of pistols and a great weapon. Just, just stand and shoot when the enemy charges in and then strike them out with a great weapon. Then they got uh, stubborn, so they're going to stay there for a while. It's really good. And you also get that rule that the master engineer got with, with the uh, artillery specialist rule. It makes them a bit yeah. better, which so, is quite nice, actually. Yeah, more damage with cannons, uh, re-rolling the artillery dice of stone thrower, making it more safe, and ballistic skills 4 instead of 3 on the bolter for 15 points, yeah. plus the unbreakable and just another wound is so good. Like, yep. Yeah, that's one of the, the major changes between the, the two six books. But to be fair, it makes it fluffy to just be able to add experts to all of those. The yeah, I mean, actually building yeah, stuff and you can do that in the first one, but then you can basically only have one because it's not going to be. Yeah. He's, he's 65 points base, and these yeah. guys are 15 points. So you can have four of them. So you can buff up four war machines for the price that you can buff up one in the first book. But where we're just going to mention is there are more of these wondrous war machines in the book as well. Yeah, it's just like half of them. Yeah. So this is the special war machines. And then when you flip the page over the rare units, you got the cool stuff or the, the unique stuff rather. Uh, so you have the organ gun, flame cannon, and the gyrocopter. Oh, yeah. So the organ gun uh, is like several small cannons roped together. Kind of reminds of you of the, the Swedish leather gun in the 1600s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with this, but it's got a range of steel and not leather obviously so it's got a range of 18 in the first book and a range of 24 in the second sixth edition book uh, but other than that they work the same strength five minus three to your armor save so a total of is it a total of minus five or is it just minus three i'm not sure it's uh, stacks actually yeah anyway it's so good you just roll on artillery dice and that's how many hits you get uh, I think in in eighth edition, I don't know if you roll one or two artillery dice, uh, and then you still have to hit with them. But it's uh, interesting that sometimes we come on questions that we just really need someone that's played eighth edition to answer. Yet we know no one who plays eighth edition, do we? Well, Krell, that semi trader. Yeah. Uh, but it's really good. Like uh, I, I used to have an organ gun. So good, so good for shooting down skirmishers and stuff running around you and flyers. Uh, and the change between the two books, between 18 and 24 inch range, is really big. Yeah. Also, it looks good, but there are as we, there are situations where it isn't as good or as cool as the next one on the list. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also want to say that uh, in the sixth edition, you can't put runes on either an organ gun or flame cutting because they're too new. But in eighth edition, they've been around for longer, I guess. So now you can put runes on them, which everyone does on an organ gun. I've seen it gives you a reroll on an artillery dice, so everyone gets that one. Yeah, but the next entry, yeah. Flame Cannon, one of my favorite things of all time in Warhammer. It's so cool. Yeah, it's well, all of the models for it has been great as well, in, yeah. in their own way. Because one is just a barrel with a funnel on the front. Yeah, don't knock the barrel. Uh, so a Flame Cannon is a big piece of uh, artillery. Uh, it's got a range of 0 to 12, so you can guess up to 12 inches, and then you roll an artillery die and add that, and then the tip of that you place a flame template so it just fires like a, a big canister full of uh, volatile liquid yeah and uh, it's that's just cool that's just cool. yeah this is awesome uh, it's strength five i think and uh, why do i never have these things up oh here it is perfect strength five d3 wounds minus two armor save and any unit that takes casualties from this weapon has to take a panic test no matter how many losses you suffer yeah, this one actually comes with a misfire shard for one. The organ gun does as well, but uh, it doesn't turn into a giant uh, ball of flame if you misfire it. Yeah, yeah, they're very volatile. On a one to two, it's destroyed. Usually, it's just a one. Uh, do, do you know what I find really weird? That uh, a cannon's misfire shard is less dangerous than a catapult's misfire shard. It depends on it if it explodes and the barrel explodes and throws shrapnel everywhere. Yeah, it was like a, a cannon is just on a one, it's destroyed. Two to three, it's uh, you can't fire this turn or the next, and or whatever happens. But on a catapult, like if you roll a two to three, then you lose a crew member as well. Mm, that sounds unfortunate for that crew member. <laughs> yeah, just like that uh, orc short story or whatever, like <laughs> the, the flavor text. Oh, funny. Last one didn't scream. That sounds like uh, the trailer to Warhammer Online. When the oh, yeah. climb, climbs up in the rock lob and gets thrown straight into the wall. Uh, yeah. All right. So the flame cannon, I love it. Uh, really handy against uh, low leadership armies, I would say. Skaven goblins and stuff like that. Just the, the kind of things yeah. that you want to burn up. And uh, the last rare choice is the gyrocopter. Oh, yeah. It's a classic. Well, it's, it really is. It's, uh, that's has also had some great models through the years. Yeah. I like the like the really old one with like a hexagonal base as well. The really old one is basically a dwarf strapped to a rotor. Because <laughs> there's not yeah, much there. Teeny tiny wings. Yeah. It's uh, the equivalent should be like the early versions of the, the Imperial Guard Sentinel or the Land Speeder. They're basically the same amount of armor and sense to them. Yeah. But the gyrocopter it can fly. That's a really nice nice thing. Yeah, gives some speed to your dwarves. Uh, it's weapon skill 4, the pilot, strength 3. Toughness 5 for the gyrocopter, with 3 wounds. And yeah, the pilot's initiative 2, 1 attack, legion 9. And it's got a, a steam cannon. A steam gun. Steam gun. Uh, the gyrocopter is armed with a steam-powered gun that unleashes a hail of lead bullets similar to a cannon's grape shot. To represent this, the blast of the steam gun used a temp flame template. Place a template with the broad end over the target and an arrow end touching the muscle of the gun. Any model completed under the template are automatically hit and models partly covered are hit on the roll of 4+. plus. It's a strength 3 armor save minus 1 weapon. Yeah, it's pretty decent. 
considering you can just fly up next to you and they can't really do anything about it. Yeah, and uh, it well, it can still quite easily be killed in close combat or by shooting. So yeah, but it is interesting. In the in the first six book, they they have rules for like when it dies, it crashes. So then you roll like uh, I don't know how many d six and a scatter dice, and then crashes uh, and it explodes and does uh, a lot of damage. I got it here. It's uh, when the gyrocopter crashes, roll the scatter dice to determine the random direction which it moves. If you roll a hit, use the little arrow embed. Blah blah. blah. Uh, now roll four d six. This is the distance in inches the gyrocopter moves before it crashes. When it hits the ground. The machine explodes, killing the pilots, bits of gyrocopter and the spinning blades mangle anything nearby. To represent the explosion, place a large blast template. Where the gyrocopter hits the ground, all targets under the template suffer a strength for hit due to the exploding engine and debris. Models partly under hit on a 4+. plus. Gyrocopter pilots may not crash deliberately. <laughs> no kamikaze wars. I really love that they added that because otherwise people would try. Yeah, I mean it's a really good explosion, like strength four large blast. It's crazy. Yeah, and uh, the damage uh, it's got three wounds, as we mentioned. Uh, the few exceptions are uh, if a gyrocopter is broken in close combat, then it will automatically crash. Otherwise, gyrocopter functions normally until it has sustained three wounds, at which point it can no longer fly and crashes. If a gyrocopter is wounded by an attack with a strength seven or more, it will crash automatically. So it shows that they are they are fragile because they are not that well armored or that uh, explored as a technology at this point. Yeah, the yeah. The, the old ones just uh, some some fabric stitched together. Yeah, and yeah. The six dead uh, metal one basically. Yeah. Then the really nice uh, was it late seven or in eighth the new kit was released. Yeah, I think it was eighth edition. Yeah, yeah. With a massive load of extra dwarfs. But, uh, it was a nice, yeah, nice kit, actually. Yeah. So in eighth edition, they also have the gyro bomber. Yeah, the extended length one. Yeah. So it's got bombs. You can drop bombs when it flies yeah. over something. And then today, the end of eighth edition, they got a zeppelin of several sizes, with uh, robot dwarfs on them, didn't they? Oh, I really don't like those dwarfs. It's basically the same game. We all know that. So uh, uh, that's my one. Uh, the dwarves can also take uh, dogs of war troops, but uh, the cost of those are in the dogs of war book or the ogre kingdoms book. But I doubt ogres would work well with dwarves. Yeah. So yeah, as, uh, I hope uh, people got a good image of the units. I know we've been going back and forth over the sixth edition and six point five, talking about about eight. But overall, the dwarves have a lot of sturdy infantry and good war machines, just as you would expect. Indeed. And in the back of the sixth edition book, there are certain ways to play this army list as well. Do you want to go through this? Uh, are you talking about the optional army lists or the exactly. tactics? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, armies. So in the sixth edition books, uh, they gave you some optional ways of playing the arms. The game. So in the, the game, yeah. because in some of the books there are like certain special scenarios. The highest got a monster hunt one. The dark elf got a raid one, and the dwarves got armies of the dwarves. I think the yeah. empire got the, the empire got additional lists. I think but that's yeah. not important. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. go. We're talking about dwarves now. So, Armies of the Dwarves, they have the Guild Expedition, Throng of Karak Kadrin, Royal Clan, 
Overground Defense, Ungrin Anchor Force, and War of Vengeance. So lots of optional lists. We should also mention that some of these uh, army lists were expanded on in the later, well, later scenarios and later books for 6th edition. Yeah, specifically two of them. <laughs> well, mainly two of them, I should say. <laughs> All right, so the first guild expedition, uh, referring to the Engineers Guild, and this is kind of like the the null artillery train. You can take uh, uh, warrior hunters, cannons, stone throwers, and bolt throwers as core, but you must have a unit of warriors for every two cannons. So this seems like it could be abused a bit. <laughs> spamming yeah. cannons. Yeah, since uh, if you check the special units, which are gyrocopters, O2 organ guns, or O2 flame cannons as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it can be basically. It depends on the speed of your enemy, I would say. Yeah, it could lend itself to pretty boring games. So it's like with, yeah. with all these like optional lists, uh, some of them can be abused. But I mean, if you're playing a game with your friend to have a good time and you want a themed army, then you should definitely have a look at these lists and just build themed armies. Yeah, all of these extra lists are basically made for that. The same with. Uh, Goblin lists or Empire, like you said, the null army, not really train and stuff. You're, you have to have opponents approval, basically. Yeah, and then we have the throng of Karakadrin, and Karakadrin, of course, is the Slayer Keep mm-hmm. or Slayer Hold. And uh, characters, you may only take Slayer characters. Yeah. One Demon Slayer, maybe the Slayer King. Yeah, because in this book, uh, there was no Slayer King at this point in the game. The model was there, but the slaking wasn't. Yeah. Uh, core units, slayers, special unit, warriors, zero to one hammers, but only if the slayer king is present. Rare units, crossbowmen, thunders. So this is yeah. a very restricted army list. Yeah, but it is. It is basically a gathering of the slayer, slayers when the king calls for this. Maybe this dragon has to die, or maybe this uh, orc horde needs defeating, and the slayer king is the only one that can summon them at this point. Yeah, but yeah, as we said, two of these lists are expanded upon later. This is one of them, and it's a really cool list. Slayers want to die, after all. Now we have the Royal Clan, must be led by a Dwarf Lord, so only 2,000 points and above. No Slayer characters. Core units, hammers, all the units are stubborn, not just the one with the Lord. Zero to one Ironbreakers, zero to one Longbeards, and Warriors. Special units, Thunders, Crossbowmen, Miners, Rangers. Rare units, Cannons, Bolt Throwers. Uh, stone throwers and dogs of war so yeah basically the lord and his special buddies just marching in destroying stuff then we have the overground defense which is uh, basically when uh, and a dwarf lord has to defend one of the access points to the hole from above or one of their pastures or their favorite beer hall or whatever (laughs) yeah yeah this is a really cool list uh to core units you got rangers and crossbowmen and zero to two miners. So they're usually zero to one. So that's cool. It's miners coming up from their mining pits and lots of rangers. I think it would be a really fun list to run as well. Because they don't have a lot yep. of war machines. So you got special units, warriors, sunners, slayers, rare units, gyrocopters, long bears. So yeah, you don't have any war machines. You just have the gyrocopters or rare rare unit and then just a bunch of rangers. Yeah. And that that is uh, there are some of the stories in the fluff that are basically forces like this uh, gathering info or trying to hold an enemy while the major clan gathers, basically. Yeah. And, uh, I think there's one with uh, 
Isn't it uh, with Alrik Ranulfsson, that character, that has a similar story in it? Or is it one of the other dwarf characters? Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's, uh, there, there are some, at least. Just read all of them. They're great. And you, then you can't rem- remember which one it is when you're actually recording something. That's brilliant. So, the Ungrim Anchor Force. Yeah, the Ungrim Anchor is the, the underground road network. Uh, it really needs some defending. So we got core units, miners, no restriction on how many, and zero to three iron breakers. Special units, warriors, two, zero to two longbeards, thunderers, zero to one slayers, rare units, organ guns. So this is like, I really like to make an army like this. Yeah. This is such a cool theme. Yeah, just imagine, is the reading that little fluff blur, which is, Ungrim Anchor is the network of underground corridors and highways that once linked all of the dwarf empire in the world's edge mountains. Nowadays, much of it is shattered and broken into Westcaven and Goblin tunnels, and sizable forces are used to patrol its depths. Such underway forces are also mustered to make expeditions into fallen holes, their expertise at underground fighting essential in the foe-infested depths of places such as Karak Askal and Karak Drash. Just imagine making that force and having uh, like a campaign against Skaven and Goblins. Yeah, so good. And just like it's imagine tables you can build as well, like that kind of tunnels oh, yeah. and a bunch of rocks and oh, it's so good. Just uh, take some inspiration from uh, the Moria scenes in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, they're running through that giant uh, hall with all those pillars, and uh, it was like a marketplace in the olden days. Yeah, and also you can use like use the goblin town scenery to mix it up uh with some some rocks yeah. and just have like goblin infested tunnels or skaven infested tunnels and then you can have a great scene where the goblins chase the dwarves on uh, all of those oh, uh... don't don't <laughs> i'm sorry I just... <laughs> so that moment ruined eh? yeah yeah i'll be born or gone all right next one war of vengeance this is like all of these themes are cool. This is the one I settle on and then right. During the War of Vengeance, the time the elves called the War of the Beard, the whole of the Dwarf Empire was mobilized to fight against the King of Ulthuan. The bravest veterans took up, up their arms to do battle once more, and the whole dwarf race was possessed by a great need for vengeance against the elves, who had betrayed them so callously. During the War of the Beard, the dwarf realm was yet mighty and had not been laid low by volcanoes and earthquakes and the orcs and goblins had not overrun many of the dwarf holes. At this time, even the dwarves had not discovered the secrets of black powder weapons, relying instead upon more traditional war machines. All the units in the army hate elves, any type, instead of greenskins. No model may have a dwarf handgun or pistol. Core units, warriors, crossbow men, 0-2 longbeards, 0-1 slayers, 0-1 miners. Special units, 0-1 rangers, 0-1 hammers, iron breakers, stone throwers, bolt throwers, up to two per choice, rare units, none. Yeah. Yeah, so this is also expanded upon later. We'll talk about and we're going to put a note here that expanded list will be in another episode, actually. Because we are yeah. doing a War of the Beard slash War of the Avengers episode coming up after this, basically. And, uh, and when I say after this, you know I don't mean it literally. <laughs> At some point in the future. Yeah, but we are planning Hopefully. one. Not that far. Yeah. We are planning so, one since Nicholas is playing dwarves. I'm playing Hiles anyway, so we can at least fantasize about ever meeting and having a game. <laughs> but then we're going to go through yeah. the proper the high of list uh, and the dwarf list for War of Vengeance. But it is such a good setting. Yeah, it's so good. It's like 
Uh, both of us played the horse heresy 30k and this is like every universe has like a, a an origin war story like oh this war happened and then the stuff that we're living through now is just the the effects of that war and this is like a yeah titanic uh conflict in the history of the worm world it's like the yeah. humans call it the, the war of the ancients and it's just crazy i love it so much this is the reason this war is the reason the elves left the old world basically Except yeah. for those that really, really, really like trees in some weird way. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the, the heyday of the worst. Like when they're all complaining about the good old days, this is like the best time of their lives. Yeah, and there's an entire book series set in this during this war, which is what I'm currently reading, actually. Yeah, yeah. As I said, I think like it's a trilogy, right? Yeah, I think most of them are because there's this one, there's the Malik, or the Sundering one, and then there's the, I think there's a Skaven one, and then. Uh, I think they they change others. I, I remember the first yeah. one being really really good, and then yeah, the other two were, one, but the first one is like super good. I'm still on uh, the first one because they pretty much made it to the major Elven city now, and just realized that there wasn't like 500 elves there. Yeah, and there is. A dwarven word for retreat. Uh, all right, so <laughs> as we said, there are, there are a lot of extra lists here. Two of them got expanded upon. So the the throng of Karakadrin was expanded upon in the Storm of Chaos supplement, and the War of Vengeance yeah. lists were dropped first in White Dwarf, I think, and then put in the the annuals. Yeah, it is a two part in White Dwarfs in like Pictures of Three or something like that. Yeah. So uh, do you wanna? Just talk quickly about the yeah. the Slayer list. Let's go through the Slayer list. So the Slayer list introduces more characters to the list. The Slayer King is in the 6.5 book, isn't he? Or like a White Dwarf supplement. Well, it's in the 4th edition book. At least. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw him in the 4th edition book today, and he is uncannily like the, the artwork. Like, the model looks exactly <laughs> like the artwork. Because he's the Slayer King. He is... Quite a nice character, actually. Mainly because he's, uh, well, he's got the lovely movement of three. Because we're going to go through the list. The Slayer list is basically what would happen if we were just going to allow people to use Slayers in all shapes and forms and add more Slayers and give them a war machine that shoots axes. But we're going to go through now. What would happen? Yeah. The Slayer King of Karakadrin. Uh, the only fire of his is a Slayer King and can be fielded in a Dwarf army or a Slayer army of Karakadrin. He counts as a Lord choice and in addition takes up one of your hero choices as well. Yep. He, must be, he must be fielded exactly as described here and may not be given any additional equipment. He must be the army general, which is, makes sense because he's the king, after all. And uh, we all know what his movement is. Uh, what skills? Seven, but it skips four. Strength, four. Toughness, three. Three brackets, four wounds. Toughness, three. Toughness, five. Three brackets, four wounds. That's where the three put in. Initiative five, uh, four attacks, and uh, leadership ten. For a lovely 465 points, Damn. you get that satellite, and you get the, the axe of Dargo, uh, the dragon cloak over Gromril armor, and wears the slayer crown. So it's basically the only dressed slayer. Yeah. And the dragon cloak uh, uh, has the master of spite. Uh, with a four plus ward save, a rune of the furnace, so he's immune to fire attacks, and a rune of luck, one reroll per battle. Yeah, that's what Dargo. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you can you can buy all of those runes, so it's not yeah. a unique thing. 
So it, uh, th but that's how most uh, magic items are for the dwarves, basically. Yeah. Axe of Targo is a master rune of sm smithing. Any enemy wounded by the Axe of Targo after saves loses not one wound, but d6 wounds. In addition, it bears, a, it bears a rune of parrying, which means that one model in base contact chosen by the dwarf player loses one attack in close combat. Uh, no, no, no effect against special attacks, obviously, like fanatics and dreaming. Uh, the Slayer Crown uh, bears a rune of fortitude and a rune of stone, so it's got a three plus armor save and a plus one wound. So that is why the three brackets four on his wounds. And uh, a Slayer King, Angrim is bound to, by the Slayer Oath. He benefits from the Slayer Special Rule described on page seven of Warm Armor's Dwarves. Hates green skins and is unbreakable. The other Slayer Rules does not apply, so it's only those of the Slayer Rules that apply. Yeah, so. so like, yeah, a, so, like, like a lord, pretty much. Yeah, a bit he's, better. Uh, he's like a, a bit, lord. Yeah, but he's still 465 points, so you have to play quite a decent game to actually make him worth taking. But yeah. uh, if you don't want to take him, you can take his son, which is Garagrim Iron Fist, the war mourner of Karakadrin. Garagrim uh, Flanders. He takes uh, up a lord choice, um, must be filled and expected as scribe, and no additional equipment. He will be the army general, unless you have also taken Angrim Iron Fist. He may also be used in a regular army, but may not be the general. So if you play regular dwarves, he can't be the general. But that's not surprising, given that his sole purpose is whirling death. Yeah, <laughs> to die. So it's slightly worse than his father, because he got weapon skill 6, play skill 3, strength 4, toughness 5, 3 wounds, initiative 3, attacks 4, brackets 5, and leadership 10. So for 305 points, you get that stat line with the Axis of Kadrin, and he's got the following Slayer skills. This will be explained in a moment. Uh, the Beast Slayer, Death Blow, and Vampire Slayer skill. So these are special skills that were brought in for this list, so you can basically take a title of one of the Gotrek books and make it a rule. Nice. But Gar Garagrim is a Slayer, so he follows all of the rules for Slayer as given on page 7 of Warm Armored Dwarfs. Uh, Axe of Cardrin, chained to Garagrim's wrist, so he will never lose them. These twin axes were given to him by his father on his coming of age. Each is inscribed with a grudge rune and the master rune of Scalf Blackhammer. Which one is that? Can you check that? Uh, the grudge rune is uh, you get to select uh, uh, an opponent and you get to reroll hits against them. And uh, Scalf Blackhammer is uh, you automatically wound whatever you hit. Yeah, so as I said, a whirlwind of death. Uh, okay. if, you, if you wish, when Garagrim makes a charge, he may attack like a Doomseeker, which is a special unit, so come to that, uh, rather than normally, including the effects of the Axis runes and his Slayer skills. So he can just add stuff on top of a already little attack. In subsequent rounds, he can only attack normally, though he gains one extra attack for carrying the paired, paired Axis, as noted in his profile. He makes his normal attacks for the purpose of Deathblow. Uh, and as War Mourner, it is Garagrim's duty to tend to the Shrine of Grimnir, allowing him to open up the Temple Store of Ancient Rune Axes, left as tribute by slayers making a pilgrimage to Karakadrin. It's nice of them just, I'm going to become a slayer, I'm going to leave my Rune Axe here and then take up something else so I don't lose it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what, what, what's in the, the list? Like, what, what's the, the core and special? If you just go through all the units first and then the special yeah. rules? I was going to mention this first. It is, you can make that uh, the, the Dance Slayers in an army led by Gargory may be given a single weapon rune worth no more than 25 points. Uh, the rule of pride still applies to these weapons. Oh, that's cool. 
yeah. like that. So that's that's a nice benefit of taking him, and you can basically give all of your giant slayers that can take it uh, one of the weapon runes for 25 points there. So in this list, you got uh, the Slayer King and uh, his son. You got uh, Slayer Doomseekers, which is a new unit that's added in this book. Uh, you got the Malakai Makaison's Goblin Hewer, which is the axy shooty thing of doom. And uh, after that, you get the Demon Slayer, Dragon Slayer, Troll Slayers, Doom Seekers, as we mentioned. The Brother of Grimnir, which is a buffed unit of Slayers. Uh, and you can add a unit of long drawn Slayer Pirates. And as a rare choice, you can take one to one of that Goblin Hewer that we mentioned. Because that is a uh, regiment of renown for dwarves. So is the are the the long drawn slayers are they special or rare? They're special. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, yeah. You, you get regular slayers and they're just like the other slayers. And then yeah. the Brotherhood of Grimnir are like the slayers, but they get a five plus ward against shooting, right? Uh, they got the wards of Grimnir, yes. And wards of Grimnir are uh, magic resistance one and uh, can also be used on any spell cast by wizard within six inches or targeted within six inches of the model. So if you get, keep your units close, you can basically negate for the unit next to them. And uh, yeah, that's it, Wards of Grimnir, the ward save. And you can also get a slayer character maybe given Wards of Grimnir for 30 points. So all of your characters can have the same. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Just to have like a, a more buffed unit. And long known slayers yeah. are really cool. They have pistols, also many pistols. Yeah, basically what it's lots of pistols, lots and lots of pistols, dot, dot, dot. So they are a bit tooled up, uh, Slayers, at least long, wrong is uh, uh, weapon skill 6, police skill 4, strength 4, toughness 4, 2 wounds, I initiative 4, 3 attacks and 10 leadership. And the Slayer Pirates are, like, the only difference are a bit less on everything, so yeah. one less on everything. So pistols also lots of pistols is that they can always use a brace of pistols in close combat yeah. even subsequent runs and they come as their strength for armor piercing attacks yeah two of them that's crazy yeah and uh, uh so would you explain the the axe throwing machine let's go take the doom seekers first because they are the uh, core choice and they are the only oh, shit, really, yeah. really big addition also the brother of grimmer can also take a 50 point worth of Standard room. So they can take, we're going to take that later. Uh, the Doom Seekers are single models. They're in part of model models, but you, buy them, you can buy them as a unit choice, but they are individual models when they move on the table. So you have to use the shooting at character rules for them. That's good. And they hate green skins. Uh, they're, despite normally being a, I'm breaking there for you, despite, they just to clarify that they are still hate them despite they having the unbreakable Slayer rule. So, uh, uh, having sworn oaths and Slayer Oath, Doom Six will never retreat from a fight. They are unbreakable. So that is the why it's there. Uh, the Whirlwind of Death, which is also the attack that uh, Gargrim can make, is Doom Seekers plow reckless into the enemy. And they do not attack normally in close combat. Instead, before any attacks are made, even if the enemy charge and including charity impact hits and other special attacks, the go first, Every enemy model in base contact with one or more Doomseekers take an automatic hit. Other enemies touching one or more models in base contact with a Doomseeker each take a hit on a roll of 4+. Plus. Resolve rules to wound and so on as usual. 
Survivors may attack the Doomseeker as normal, except that his whirling blades always mean the enemy are at minus one to hit. Jesus. Against, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Against units consisting of only a single model, including mo- mountain monsters and chariots, the Doomseeker inflicts D3 automatic hits on each such unit in contact. Yeah, you can just have endless of these madmen. It's like uh, Dwarf Slayer saw a fanatic and said, hold my beer. <laughs> Yeah, exactly and, that. And, the, and these models are also great because they got basically chain, the axe heads tied to shins, to chains and they're chained around the bodies and arms. Just whirl around. I got so many of these. I'm going to use all of them. Yeah. Yeah, I sent you two, I think, two or three. Yeah, and I had like six before that. Yeah. Yeah, you really need to pay these guys up early when you see them in, in the yeah. battle. I think that actually will be the day I break and actually buy some contrast paints. Yeah, just to just to base definitely. coat the skin. Just to base coat the skin. Nothing yeah, else. I would do the same, definitely. And then we've got the other new thing introduced for this list, which is uh, Malakai Makaison's Goblin Hewer, which is a great invention. Uh, Malakai Makaison is one of these engineer, engineers that were too inventive, so he was kicked out of the Engineers Guild. And... Uh, Thus became a slayer. Yeah, it might also do. be. It might also be after all of his uh, lovely, successful ships called like the Unsinkable and stuff like that that sank uh, in uh, Unsinkable too. Yeah, that basically sank uh, when they put it in the water. <laughs> he was also a professor at the College of Engineering in Nolm. If anyone wants to know, but uh, this is a. Uh, it's uh, a special thing, so. Uh, he built the Spirit of Grongu, which is a lovely airship. And after that, he felt like, I'm not going to build more airships. I'm just going to build a rapid-firing axe-throwing extravaganza of destruction. That's how it is described yeah, in the text. It's obvious. The Goblin here is capable of skydiving through even the most numerous opposition with a hail of blades. So it comes with Malakai himself, which is his uh, engineer. So... And the Slayer, so he's got the weapon skill and ballistic skill 5, strength 4, toughness 4, 2 wounds, 1, uh, one uh, 3, initial 3, attacks 3, leadership 10. Crewmen's are basically regular dudes, so... Yeah. Uh, so he's got a, a repeating handgun, doesn't he? Yeah. The crew are armed with hand weapons and great weapons, uh, since the Slayer's so quite good at they are. And Malachi is armed with a great weapon and a repeating dwarf handgun. Same yeah, as a normal... See. Yeah, I told you they're around. It's not common. So same as a normal dwarf handgun with multiple shots times three. Uh, The slayers, uh, so we follow all the normal slayers, but uh, they ignore the look story trolls rules, which we're gonna check in a moment. Uh, He's an engineer, Malakai. He follows all the rules for normal dwarf engineer. However, he is part of the crew and must stay with the goblin hero just like any other war machine crew member. And now, yeah. Goblin Newer. This is a war machine for all purposes. When it fires, nominate a target unit within range and line of sight and roll to hit as normal. Use the Malachi's ballistic skill if he's still alive, which is good because I got a ballistic skill of five, as we mentioned. Uh, and not finding should be the handgun. Uh, the spinning blades inflict a variable uh, number of hits depending on the number of ranks in the target unit. Roll a d3 for every rank the target has. This is the total number of wounds to rolls to wound you should make. If the Goblin Hewer is in the flank arc of a unit, then the number of models in the widest rank is counted as the number of ranks for this purpose. So as an example, 
A unit of four ranks deep that hits by the Goblin Hewer takes four D3 hits. If it were six models wide and hit on the flank, it would suffer six D3 hits. Uh, casualties are like, just like normal shooting hits if firing at a single model of skirmishers or other target that does not use ranks, it inflicts D3 hits. Yeah, so what does it do? What, what's the damage? And uh, the Goblin Hewer is affected by loss of crew in the same way as a Voltroar. But the Goblin Hewer is range 48, strength 4, save modifier minus 2, move as crew, toughness 7, wounds 3. That's really good. Yeah. So you take, for instance, in the example above, 4, D3, strength 4 hits. Yeah, I mean, oh, strength 4 with so many hits. I mean, most units you're going to yeah. fire at are toughness 3. And yeah. minus three in total to your save. Oh, that's, that's madness. I need to make this army just uh, due to our lovely podcast colleague Jimmy's tendency of having like 10 ranks deep goblin units. You need to make this army for so many reasons, Chris. Yeah. And uh, uh, the goblin here is a regimental renown. It may also be taken in a normal dwarf, dwarf army in an empire army, counting in each as one hero and one rare choice. So if you take it in this list, it take it costs just a rare slot, rare slot. But if you take it in the dwarf or empire army, it takes up one extra hero choice as well, and that is probably because Makaison is in it. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So now we're just gonna go through these special rules quickly, hopefully. Uh, Look, Snorri trolls, which is the first rule, and that is what we mentioned when the goblin hero disregards this rule, and that is. Uh, after all deployment before the first place turn, the Slayer army surges forward. Each unit and character moves directly ahead 2d6 inches. Units may only make a single wheel during this moment, and only if it's necessary to avoid certain terrain or other, other units. This special move ignores terrain modifiers, except in passable terrain. This is so good. In addition, the Slayer player may roll on additional d6 when determining who gets the first turn, discarding the lowest roll. Yeah, this is just such a very thematic and such a great way to just uh, get through like the, the feel of death if you're facing a shooty army because you're gonna have to charge yeah. forward and dwarves are slow, so giving this yeah. really makes it a viable army. Since, we, since they still got that movement of three, even though they're slayers and they're used to running, yeah. and they have a glorious death, which is a lovely rule, and that is keep a note of the number of models slain in close combat by enemies with a strength and/or toughness of five or more before modifications. Each slayer killed by such a worthy enemy adds 10 victory points to the slayer's army's total. Yeah. <laughs> this includes good. impact hit on chariots or monsters with similar attacks, but not to the crew or riders of chariots or monsters, unless they themselves have strength or toughness 5 or more, which makes sense because they don't really... They want a glorious death, not just any death. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I used to thought of it. I think in 8th edition, the slayers have like a rule that if they die, they get to make an attack. Before you remove the model. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, the spell dies even more so than other dwarf slayers re resolutely refuse to concede to the airy fairy magic used by other races, and their sheer force of will is often enough to thwart the spells cast at them. Like all dwarf armies, the slayer army generates four dispel dice in the opponent's magic phase. In addition, they generate an extra dispel dice for each thousand points being played, so plus one for a thousand, and so on. And then we have first among slayers, one character in the army must be nominated as general. Those slayer characters cannot be a general in a normal dwarf army. This must be a demon slayer if the army has one. 
Uh, this is very little effect in the game since slayers are all the same leadership, but sometimes it's good to know who's in charge. Yeah. And the enemy is additional VPs for killing that character, so that's yeah. usual. But yeah, and the the dispel thing makes sense because they can't take runesmiths. Yeah. And magic shooting is gonna damage them a lot. Yeah, and uh, just I know we mentioned this before, but the words of Grimner because we're going into these uh, special things that uh, the army can take. So put them here as well. Uh, the magic resistance one and uh, six inches targeted, or is it caused by magic resistance one? So it can be used by the unit next to it if it's targeted. Yeah, and th these can be taken by characters or brother of Grimner. Or well, Brother of Grim got them as it is, and the Slayer characters can take them for 30 points for the rune allowance. Then you have the Master Rune of Grimnir, which is a runic standard. So perfect for your either you well, you can make it one of the Slayers a battle standard bearer in this list, actually. But uh, forged only by the runesmiths of Karak Kadrin, the Rune of Grimnir projects an aura of dwarfishness that is so strong that it can deflect arrows and even cannonballs. It sounds like it's gonna smell like beer and. It sounds like I'm not really sure who wrote this because the language made it make it, it sounds like it's a 14 year old. But uh, any friendly unit within 12 inches of the standard gains a 5 plus ward save against any ranged attack. Which is good because all slayers are basically naked. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, now we've got the upgrades for the slayers themselves, for slayer characters. And if the Slayer is killed in close combat, this is the Death Blow, which is also what Garagrim has. Uh, it's killed in close combat, immediately makes all attacks before being removed as a casualty, even if it's already attacked the round. So that's similar to what they had in Ace, you said. Yeah. But that's kind of cool if you actually manage to kill Garagrim, he still makes all of his attacks again. The five attacks with all of his special rules. Yeah, and he gets to make all of his attacks. I think he like... Uh... The ones yeah. they only get to make one attack. This is all his attacks before being removed as a casualty. And this is an upgrade you can take for 20 points for any Slayer character. Then you got Killing Blow, which is quite straightforward. 25 points for Killing Blow ability. Uh, Beast Slayer, 25 points. Each wound inflicted by the Slayer counts double towards that round's combat resolution, excluding wounds from overkilling the challenge. Yeah. That's, that can be quite useful. Uh, Vampire Slayer, 45 points. Uh, against enemies with toughness 5 or higher, any unsaved wound inflicted by the Slayer becomes D6 wounds. And the last one is Skaven Slayer, and this got a different cost depending on if a Dragon Slayer or Demon Slayer. There's 80 for Demon, 60 for Dragon. The number of attacks the Slayer has is multiplied by the number of enemy models in base combat and contact, up to a maximum <laughs> of 10. So good. <laughs> this may not be further increased with an additional hand, weapon, runes, etc. There is no effect if the Slayer is involved in a challenge. But it's quite good. It's just yeah, I got, there's five around me. I'm going to get five extra attacks. Yeah, multiply by five. Yeah. Yeah, but you're probably going to get like three against small targets and two against large targets. That's so good. It's a lot yeah. of attacks. Yeah, and especially if you combine, uh, so you have like, uh, well, you can't really take, sadly, you can't take demons, take it on a demon slayer and you get uh, scheme slayer and vampire slayer because then you could just basically make mincemeat out of a dragon by looking at it. Yeah. Then there's some extra things that we got left, and that uh, a Slayer army may include one more hero than normally allowed. So you can take, uh, yeah, plus one hero, basically. And one Dragon Slayer may be upgraded to a Battle Standard Bearer for free, because yeah. you pay, you're basically paying for the Unbreakable for a Battle Standard Bearer anyway, isn't it? Yeah, you get to reroll um, like morale checks in combat, but you don't really yeah. need it anyway. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's still uh, it's still unbreakable since it's Slayer. So, and then you have no limit on uh, which uh, room you take on it, as well. Yeah, yeah, it's such a cool list. Definitely want to see you play it sometime in the future. Yeah, I should paint up. I got like at least two thousand points of Slayers before I put in runes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should we go through at least the really quickly the the characters that are in the different yeah. books not not just go not go through the rules but just go through the characters that are about uh so in the first sixth edition book you have like a page dwarves of legend so these are uh characters that are legendary but they, are, they don't have rules for them in this book and the first one is quite well known to us you yeah talked we've been about, talking him. about him a lot ungrim iron fist the slayer king of kader Kadrin. so yeah he's yes. the slayer king of kader Kadrin. the other two Next to this is below this is quite well known as well. That is Godric Gurnison and Felix Jaeger from the Godric and Felix books. So, if you yeah. haven't read them, at least read the first seven ones by William King. Yeah, yeah, I gotta keep going on. I read the first three, really keen on continuing as well. Yeah, just a pair of badasses. And uh, then we got High King Thorgrim Grudgebearer, also a bit of a badass. The stories about him are just crazy. Uh, then we got Joseph Bugman. Everyone should know who this guy is. Uh, he's so famous that uh, they even named the bar at Warhammer World after him. Yeah. Also, if you do get your hands on the sixth edition book, there is a lovely, lovely terrain piece of the Bugman's brewery in it. You should check out. Yeah. Then we got Burlock Damnison, engineer, guildmaster. He, he, I think he was in uh, the fourth edition book as well, and he's in the eighth edition book. Yeah, he's in the eighth. They got a quite the artwork is way better than the model because the model yeah. is just basically look at my hammer and my gun. Yeah, <laughs> it could be better. Yeah. All right. So the characters that are actually in this first book are Thoric Aronbro, Dwarf Rune Lord, Master of the Weapon Shops of Karak Asul. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, it's interesting that they put a lot of uh, focus on the holds of the Grey Mountain in this book. Yeah, they didn't really go for uh, the old holds in this one. Yeah. So yeah, he's uh he's got his anvil of doom. He's really good at using it. He's got his apprentice that helps him out. Yeah. He's a buffed up uh, dwarf rune lord with an anvil of doom. That's basically it. He's got yep. a rune hammer, and he's got a better armor. And that, and he's got a he's got a second. We've got a new rune, hasn't it? Yeah. The he's got a, a unique rune that he can use. All the dwarves in the army cause fear. Is one of the effects. Pretty good. And then we got Sirius uh, Moon, or should we want to talk more yeah, about him? Yeah. Next one is Dwarf King Alaric Ranulfsson of Karakirn. So that's another character from the Grey Mountains. Yeah. He went to fa- fa- fight Archaean swords. Yeah. And he's uh, is this the classic model, the dwarf model with uh, the dwarf on two shield bearers, the one with massive axe and uh, winged helmet. That's him. He's just called basically Dwarf Lord and Shield Bearer after this book. Yeah. Yeah, he's like the, the king of Karak Asul, I think. He's the guy with the horn. He's just like yeah. a random lord with horn after yeah. fourth edition. And he's got so he's a quite expensive, he's got some special weapon and armor, and he's the most important thing is probably that uh, he uh, restricts what you can take in your army. Yeah, he's a traditional, so uh, cannons and stuff cost Double, I think. At least yeah. thunder is uh, Gyrocopters, flame cannons, and organ guns cost twice the points they normally do. In addition, your army cannot have more models armed with a handgun than a crossbow. 
Yeah, and it's got a really cool helmet that yeah. you can spy. You can see like uh, what units have fanatics in them and stuff. Yeah, and uh, that is the only two special characters in the book. Yeah, so they put a lot of focus on the the Grey Mountain characters in this one. So in the six point five book, they changed some of them out though. Yeah, in the six point five book, I got it in front of me. So uh, it's High King Thorgrim, grudge bearer on his throne of power. This giant sled. Yeah. So he's uh, 780 points. He's, well, I think he's the second or third most expensive character in the game at this point. Yeah. Zac- Zacharias Dev Living is uh, more expensive, at least. It's like <laughs> of course. Th- uh, either 980 or 1,020 points. I'm not sure which it is, but it is just around 1,000 <laughs> points. So it's got the, that's a lovely model you see with the Dwarf Lord. The, they, they got a new one for 6th edition. I think there was one before uh, with the Dwarf Lord on a throne with four dudes. Yeah, four yeah, yeah there was an old one. Then they made a, a new one for 6.5. So I'd say that uh, he's worth it if you want to play a scenario with him or a campaign with him. Because he got loads of lovely rules, but it's not. it's still 780 points. He has a lot of points. I mean, he's practically unkillable, and he's got the one of Grimnir's axe, which is just madness. He can kill a lot of shit. Yeah, but it's interesting. Very large given part of the army. Given that, uh, I wonder how many axes Grimnir actually had. Given that Gothrog has one of them as well. So yeah, well, that must be the second one then. He had two. Yeah, so he left one in uh, in the dwarflands. And then died in the, but didn't didn't really die. No, he he gave one to his son that returned yeah. to the dwarf world, and that's the one that uh, Thorgrim yeah. has. Yeah, and Godric found him in in uh, a cave. Yeah. So uh, the next one in the book is a slightly changed, and I'm not sure if it's actually slightly changed version of uh, Thoric Ironbrow that we just uh, went through. Yeah. It has obviously changed because the Anvil of Doom has changed itself. So, and then we got Joseph Bogman. Yeah, yeah, he really deserves to be in the book. He's like yeah. the most iconic dwarf. Yeah, he used to have an entire unit with him, after all. Yeah, yeah, he used to be like a, yeah, yeah, it's like a regiment of renown thing, like the, yeah. the really old ones. I have the, that unit, actually. It's a, it's nice models. He's, he's gotten a lot of nice models during the years as well, just as, as Bugman specials for, at Warhammer World and stuff. And yeah. he's the only... Uh, only character here that we mentioned here that is a hero choice so it's quite cheap but this he cannot can include a unit of longbeard ranger <laughs> these are in addition to normal allowance of longbeards and rangers but do not count towards the minimum unit of core troops choices in the army so that is because uh, you got the upgrade for rangers in this book the 6.5 book uh, he's going to mention other characters that are available for rules with six, the six editions are Godric and Felix, Burlock Damnison, uh, Rune Lord Craig the Grim, which is also a lovely model, really aged these days. Uh, Angry Myron Fist, that we have talked about, but it was also released in White Dwarf. Or as a web character, I'm not sure. Uh, King Castador of Carcassel, uh, Grombrinol the White Dwarf, Grombrinol the White Dwarf, the Triple X, that's the, that's the anniversary model that was released. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gary Myron Fist, Brock Stone Fist, Crazed Kagrim. Uh, Dursak Dragonback, uh, those two, uh, those, those three last, I think, are from the War of Vengeance campaign. And uh, a Dwarf Brewmaster. It's a lot of characters. 
a lot were well as we said there were, were several campaigns there were also in an era where games workshop did publish uh, articles on several of the uh, different sites because they had an an all, all site they had uh, like a german site they had a british site they had an american site and they all had teams that published articles and uh, rules and uh, stuff like that which is quite far from how it is today yeah yeah i remember like when they switched over the website i used to go to the australian website because they still had like the old layout with all the cool articles and files and stuff yeah i have a few of them still saved but i regret that i didn't save all of them yeah because as we said I do have a link to a website that have posted all of those uh, rules for uh, 6th edition for all the special characters, but it's not the same as having them properly formatted from Games Workshop. Yeah, this is also like uh, why everyone or like why dwarves are so good. Like it's such a good uh, faction because we're just like dwarves. We're just yeah. longing for the old days. And uh, we should. Just one more thing here that I remember. They do did get the power sword after the Dark Shadows campaign, the dwarves. But it's their, they're basically their only uh, custom, no, the stock made uh, uh, medic weapon. Because that's it's not the runes or anything. It's just the Blade of Shining Death, 65 points. <laughs> this sword has a blade enveloped in glittering light and can slice through the toughest armor. I mean, what else can it be? So the character strikes in close combat with strength five and ignores armor saves. Yeah, well, other factions got power fists. Yeah, the darkers got a power fist, and the high elves got a flamethrower and a lightning claw. <laughs> yeah, and they got the power armor as well. So <laughs> that was what the high elves got. Yeah, but uh, those were the those were the days. Those were the days, and uh, I hope. People have enjoyed this. Yeah, I hope run. people got a bit of a sense of uh, what the dwarves are, and yeah, you probably knew what the dwarves were as a race, but what they yeah. do on a battlefield. And uh, we're going to do this again because we got a higher one coming up as well. Because it's all going tying it together here. We're going to do the dwarves. We're going to do the higher one. And we're going to do the War of Vengeance campaign, just to compare and see what happened. And uh, yeah. Just One because of the biggest conflict of the yeah. world. And then we are most definitely going through the entire Storm of Chaos book. But as we, we mentioned here, this that's what the Slayer list from that book, and we felt like it should be included with the rest of the dwarves. Yeah, take a with it. All right, I think uh, we're done well, here. Yeah, should we just... Let's just round off and end on the episode because there's nothing more to say, really. Yeah, I just have one last thing to say. Put your trust in stone and iron. Stone and iron have always been true friends of the dwarves. Indeed. Unless they get uh, mind-controlled by some kind of beast living under Karakhern. What? I'm not going to spoil it. You, you, If you read the Nathan Long books, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think I read or not. Time have ended, and the realm of elves, dwarf and man shattered. But in our hearts, the old world liveth.